Just before we begin this episode, I do want to say that our hearts and minds are with our Ukrainian audience right now. You're only a small subsection of our audience, but we are with you and we stand with you during this difficult time. Stay strong, look after each other. Now onto the show. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of NPS We Trust. My name's Davey and joined with me as always is Phil. Happy Sunday boys and come on you Reds. Liverpool, we just lifted the English Football League Cup, the Carabao Cup or the EFL Cup. It was 10 penalties to 11 penalties. It was crazy. So I've just come off the back of that and I am hyped. We've won boys. One cup down, three to go. And for those of us that means nothing to Spencer. Welcome to the show. Thank you, mate. Football's for pussies. Jesus, just coming in straight away strong. Just insulting, like, most of the country who actually follow football, whereas you and me are the outliers on this, and straight away just coming in with an absolute fucking bombshell, straight off the back. I think Spencer's, a, like, a, he's like a hidden football fan, because if anyone had inspected those photos that went out on the NPS We Trust um, Twitter account, you might have noticed that Spencer has a football light I also have a Liverpool light switch. What is this then? What is this kind of like, this stance that you're taking where you're just totally slating football? Is it a case, Spence? I'm going I'm to kind of imagine the scenario here that your dad's, you know, you're growing up and your dad's like, I really hope that Spence is just good at football. Right? I want to just send him off to camps. I want to live off his money. I want to live off what he's doing. And he just gash at it. And it's just, but it's pushed on you. And he's like, no, just keep going out there. And you're like, dad, it's raining. It's raining outside. I don't want to. He's like, get outside. Practice your penalties. You're like, dad, I just want to play computer games. No, you're playing FIFA or nothing, boy. That is it. Football manager, maybe. Maybe at a push. And that's it. And then years of that abuse and having, you got a red background behind you. You got Liverpool light or whatever it is. You got football lamp. I'm piecing it all together. I feel like Sherlock at the moment. You know, I'm seeing all these different images. I'm lining them up. Am I right on the money with that? You're not right on the money. There are some there are some consistencies there. My room is red for Liverpool. That is the reason it is red. I got the Liverpool light switch. But all of that happened when I was like 11. <laughs> and it was a case of my brother-in-law, or I guess my sister's boyfriend at the time, supported Liverpool and he took me with him to watch the games at the pub and that was it and then they thought oh Spence must really like Liverpool and it was just well what else were me and my brother-in-law supposed to do it was either that or play Umbrella Chronicles on the Wii well it's nice to have you here regardless even though you've got a dodgy past there which I'm sure I'm going to revisit and make up even more additions to this to this bit of a gap that I don't know about these first 11 years of your life that I can project whatever I want and it turns out 70% of it's probably true. So we'll park that for now and we'll move on with the rest of the show. Guys, what are you drinking today? Phil, let's start with yourself. What are you on today? Well, Davey, uh, I've had a couple of pints when I'm watching the uh, football earlier. A little bit of celebration. I had my next door neighbour round. Um, he bought the Peroni um, and he's a big Chelsea supporter. So we went head to head tonight and I came out the victor and I drank all his beer. So I'm just going to keep it calm on the podcast. I have a couple of cups of tea. Still on the butcher's tea, if anyone's interested. Um, and I might spice it up with a can of Coke towards the end of the show, just to keep my energy levels up. Nice, nice. Not bad, not bad. As you said already on the show, we are recording on a Sunday. 
So it is pretty much an alcohol-free zone, or certainly not up to the level that we normally would do on the podcast. And Spencer, what about yourself, mate? Well, even though it's a Sunday, I don't have work tomorrow. But even though that's the case, this past few days, and currently today, I've been really very much ill. I've been sick, I've had some sort of flu, I've had a horrible cough, a blocked nose, headaches, not been able to sleep because I'm coughing all night. It's been shit. So, tonight, I'm on Dr. Pepper, because I got half a bottle of that, but probably I'll mostly just be drinking water, keep my liquids up. And it goes without saying, if you start really struggling and you have to go, I'm sure the audience will understand, okay? So just look after yourself, get your water in you, get that Dr. Pepper, that goodness of Dr. Pepper, which can never go wrong for anybody. Just get that in you, get hydrated, and see how long you can last for. I'm sure you can do it, mate. I'm sure you can do it. I mean, I'm ill, and he's the doctor, so he's what I need, clearly. Exactly, exactly. Well, guys, I'm on probably the best tasting beer I think I've ever had in my life. I'm on Budweiser. And the reason why it's so good is because it's not mine. It's Spencer's. He left it over at my house, and by God, <laughs> it's damn good. It is damn good. I had a gathering. Um, well, it, it pretty much Spence just came around mine last Friday when I was supposed to be playing Horizon. And uh, we played fighting games all night to play Guilty Gear Strive and uh, Smash and stuff. And he bought a load of beer over and we were doing tequila and stuff like that. And he, I just woke up the next day in this half a crate in my, uh, in my kitchen still. So I got, I got Budweiser tonight, boys. And it's a tasty beverage. I tell you what, Spencer, there's no wonder you're always harping on about this. It's all right, this, you know? Bro, I literally, I thought about it as well on the night. I thought, I, those are my buds. I got to remember to take those. And in the morning, I took, I remember I brought two bottles of Pepsi and I took one of them home. I didn't take the fucking buds. Oh, that's actually so sad. I forgot about her until this <laughs> very moment. Yeah, I thought I'd just try and just leave that silent. If I if I had been Phil, if I was doing Phil's tactic, it would be just not mention anything for like a year, and then it's so far gone that then it's it's fine. But I thought I'm gonna blatantly even just tell you and show you me drinking them to your face because even though you're not very well. I still got to pour on that little bit of extra salt to your pepper that you're having, you know, just to try and make you feel a bit better. Do you like that condiment joke there? You like that one? That was good, mate. I actually really appreciate that. I forgive you now. Well, listen, that's enough about drinking. Let's move it on to the actual show. This time on NPS We Trust, what have the boys been playing? So it's been two weeks since the last episode. And guys, I do want to know what you've been up to since we've had two major game releases that have come out in death month spencer i want to start with you bless all right well as i said i've been ill the past few days elden ring oh baby oh elden ring i have two copies of the game that's how much i love it i was supposed to be working all weekend so when elden ring came out until today but obviously i've been ill i tried booking the days off work said no and the gods descended upon me and said follow the lost grace and that's what i've been doing i've been ill 
I've put in two days because I didn't play it today. So Friday and Saturday, I put about 27 hours of game time into Elden Ring because I've been ill. What, what else is there to do but stay in bed and just play one of the best games ever made? Saying it early. Elden Ring is fucking sick, boys. Oh my god. The amount of shit. I'm not going to spoil the game. I won't spoil the game. I'll accept questions in a bit, but I won't spoil anything story-wise. Granted, I still don't even really know what's happening story-wise. That helps. But this game has so many, like, quality of life changes and new mechanics and ways to, like, combat encounters. So, like, in the old FromSoft games, even if you were, like, just running somewhere, it would drain your stamina bar. Now, your stamina bar only drains when you've aggroed an enemy, so you're in an encounter. So you can actually just sprint forever. And then as soon as an enemy sees you, it starts draining your stamina bar. So that's really, 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 really nice. Really nice. Because I used to be a bit annoying in the old games. The ladders. Oh my god, I've gone on about this for years. The ladders in Dark Souls have always been like normal ladders, but with poles sticking out the sides. But you can still slide down them. It makes no fucking sense. Fixed it. There's no poles on the sides. It makes sense you can slide down them now beautiful they've added guard counters if you block a move you press r2 immediately after blocking the move and you do a cool swing which drains quite a lot of your stamina but it deals so much stagger to them damage to their super armor which is like a hidden kind of a hidden gauge and if you max it out it staggers the opponent and you get a critical hit this game's sick I've played 27 hours. I'm going to be playing more. I feel like I've barely scratched the surface of this game. My, uh, what's it called? My, my card, where it tells you how well you're doing in the game, says I'm about 20% through in 27 hours. And that's only story-based. That's nothing to do with a side quest. I was going to ask you about this length, because obviously, as you've already said, so you're siding on the same way as the critics then, because this game is currently sitting at a 97 on Metacritic, which makes it one of the best games ever made, which is insane, right? That's just nuts to me. I mean, I'm a huge Souls fan, but I've been too far up the arse of a game that I'll be talking about in a moment to actually sit and have time with Elden Ring yet. I'll be getting onto that in the next couple of weeks. I wanted to ask you about, about that time, because like you said, 27 hours, if you were thinking a traditional Souls game now, you'd probably have about 13 hours left, and then you'd be finished on a first run, about 40-ish hours, and that always feels nice, right? It always feels like a good length, and obviously if you suck at the game, it's going to take you considerably longer than that. Is the fact that this game potentially, if you're playing this at a normal rate, instead of doing, you know, like 14-hour days on it, is, does that kind of worry you, that you could potentially have like 100 hours in front of you? I wouldn't say it worries me, because it would worry me, I think, in a different game, where it's just, like, extending the length of the game for no reason. But this world, the world that is Elden Ring, is just so jam-packed with content. It's like you're never actually wasting time, other than the other day where I couldn't find where I had to go for like five hours. That was wasting time, but that was my own fault. I don't blame the game for that at all. Blame it a little bit. It's a bit annoying. It didn't explain too well. But it never does. FromSoft never explain anything to you. They say, here you go, use a sword, good luck. 
the game length, uh, it worries me a little bit. But it shouldn't really be an issue unless I stop enjoying what I'm doing. And so far, with all this time, even though I'm making very slow progress, I'm still enjoying it. I'm loving every second of it. Hell, I went. I meant to go to bed at like 3 o'clock last night, and instead, I just kept playing until like half 5 in the morning. I didn't even mean to. I thought, let me just get to this one area. I teleported there, and then I saw something out the corner of my eye. I thought, oh, I'll explore that. Turned into another two hours of gameplay. This game's sick. The game length could be... 500 hours it couldn't be 500 hours long that pissed me off the game length could be three times as long as a souls game and i think as long as it keeps you entertained throughout it's fine so what are the kind of key differences here between what Elden ring has done and given you so far and a traditional souls like experience because the reason i'm thinking about this is this game judging from what i'm seeing on twitter and facebook and everything else is selling exceptionally well obviously we'll have to wait another week on from this podcast before we start seeing actual sales data here but i wouldn't be surprised to see this sell the best out of every souls game so far and the thing is about souls games and i imagine it's the same for this and hopefully you can confirm that or not for us is that souls games are for a particular niche they're not for everyone they're not for mass market and my worry and from what i'm seeing so far anecdotally on twitter and on facebook is that people are buying this game kind of under the illusion that it is a game for everyone and then they're just getting frustrated, they're getting their ass kicked, they're not really knowing what's going on. I mean, I remember what it was like my first time playing Bloodborne, which was my first introduction to the series, and I didn't know where I had to go, I didn't know how to fight enemies, I didn't know anything, and it was only through sheer determination of will that I pushed through it and, and found I fucking adored that series. But I could see that being the, the break point for a lot of people where they think, Do you know what, critics don't know what the hell they're talking about why is it getting a 97 why is it getting all these 10 out of 10s this is trash i'm going back to whatever i was playing before is this much different from traditional dark souls experience it's very different yet very much the same because the difficulty i would say and i don't think it's even up for debate that this is the hardest game FromSoft have made. I don't even think it's close. I think this game is by far the hardest. And that's because, if one, it just throws you into the thick of it, same as any other Souls game. But you, end, you leave the tutorial, and the way the world is constructed is as soon as you walk out that door, there's a boss. And not just any boss, it's a boss that's supposed to beat you down to teach you that you need to sneak past it or go a different route and grind and level. Figure out the mechanics, get a better weapon, figure out your build and how you want to build your character and do that and then come back to it. But a lot of people and a lot of streamers I've seen are being like, I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to keep fighting him until eventually I beat him. And then it takes four hours. They eventually beat him and they're like, well, what do I do now? A lot of people I've seen are playing this game and yeah they think they think it's for everyone they do think it's for everyone and then just complain because it's, it is too hard it is too hard for a lot of people but in terms of like the dark souls community the game's still harder than it ever has been yet it makes sense 
So it's just something, it's just another learning curve for, for like us, which we're happy to learn. Whereas new players, they, they kind of already have so much they don't know from the prior games that they have to learn all of that and the new stuff and try and balance it in a way to make them make the game work for them. And a lot of people are struggling with it at the minute. I'm surprised this game reviewed as well as it did because as soon as I got out and I fought the first boss, I got my cheeks clapped. And I cannot imagine, especially with what we were talking about last episode with reviewers trying to play on easy mode and just playing bits of a game. I feel like the reviewers must have left the tutorial area, looked at the world and said, oh, this is a masterpiece and not have actually played it. Because if they played it, they'd have been like, this is a two out of 10. Well, I think the difference is going into like a Souls game and something like Sifu is that you know which of your review staff is going to gravitate towards playing those Souls games. You know, it's got such a lineage now at this point that there's bound to be someone on staff that is a Souls fan. And so then you'd you'd put the review to them. You wouldn't give it to like, you know, the intern who's just started last week and whose favorite game is Pokemon, right? You just You just wouldn't think of doing that because they're going to be in for a hell of an experience. Whereas you chuck it to the person that's already got that kind of inbuilt skill, that inbuilt knowledge, chuck it at them so they can then cane through it and get your review out in time. So I, I imagine this time it was actually probably reviewed by the right people um, rather than it be a case of like Sifu, which was kind of unknown how difficult that game was until we actually just got into it. Like, you know, I thought it was just going to be like a Batman kind of style game and it was nothing like it. So I suppose that's probably the reason for this. But <clears throat> question I want to ask you, and it does kind of get me worried. And obviously, I haven't experienced this myself yet. So it could be that I'm taking this out of context. And when I actually get into it, it doesn't feel like this. But what you said there about grinding up to be able to take on a challenge, that sounds quite worrying to me. Because, you know, traditional souls is a case of if you're just not good enough, then you can go grind, right? Like, you can go and just run the same area over and over and over again to get, like, you know, extra heals or to get your extra grass or whatever it is that you need. And at the same time, you're gaining levels, which then can make you stronger to go into that boss fight. But traditionally speaking, you don't really seem to even need to ever bother doing that in a Souls game because it's it's kind of a gradual hill that you're climbing in terms of the challenge that you go off. Do you find then that's quite different in this? I think even with like starting gear, you can still beat at least the bosses that they throw at you early on. I haven't seen the bosses late game so i'm i can't speak for those i've seen people beat those early bosses with like starting gear so it's definitely like you could just learn rather than go and grind but i think the game is suggesting that grinding is the smarter choice and it's not a case of a tedious grind where you just find some enemies kill them rest at a bonfire and do it again it's a case of there are dungeons all around the world that are easier than the bosses the games are thrown at you. You go through there, kill some enemies, maybe find a new, um, what's it called? Art of War, or whatever it's called, like a special ability. Um, and then it takes you to a boss, which would be infinitely easier than any of like the story bosses or the world bosses. There was a boss I found in the world the other day in some swamp, and Jesus Christ, I tried it for about two hours and thought, fuck this, I'm not even getting close. And I've not gone back since. I'm waiting till I'm about to beat the final boss and then I'll go back to him. Because he clapped my cheeks. And I know I could learn that boss fight. But why waste the time doing so 
when I could experience more of the game whilst getting stronger and learning throughout and then just go back to it. Oh, well, that's that's actually made me feel a little bit better, actually, because when you said about grind, I thought it was going to be a case of you got like a gauntlet, you know, like one straight run that you run from like one bonfire to another, kill every enemy, reload, travel back and just do that over and over again. That's what I thought that you were saying. But you're just saying basically just go off the beaten path and just go and explore and just go and fight stuff and naturally just, you know, do things in the open world and then come back when you're feeling a bit more geared up and you're ready for that battle. So that's a, that's a very different thing from uh, what I would imagine a grind to be. So that, that that's made me feel a little bit better. There's a couple of other things I do want I I wouldn't mind asking you um on this. So from what I've seen um at the start of the game you pick then a class um you know and they've all got like weird names. They're not like knight and things like that. It's it's all like weird names, isn't it? That I I can't remember off offhand. Is it the same as like a typical Souls game in that those levels that you have, they don't really matter. Like you could go in as a knight, but then quite early in in Dark Souls, you can get the levels to be able to then change to to then go into magic use and things like that. Is it still that kind of way? Does the leveling still work in that quick kind of style that you can then just change your abilities and change your things on the fly? Yeah, it's 100% the exact same kind of system they used to use. I, most people I've seen have chosen the samurai class which is just like cool samurai armor, a shield, and a katana. And the class I chose was the warrior, which I think people would usually mistake for the knight, which is sword and shield. But the warrior in this game is dual wielding uh, skimmies, so scimitars. And I knew I wanted to do a dex build in this game. I said that for months. So that's what I did. I regretted it for a bit at first because my damage was shit. And I thought, should I respec or should I lean into it? And I made the choice to lean into it, found some better weapons. Now I've got a bleed build, which scales with decks. And by God, game feels good. It's, it's a case of, I could have changed my mind. I could have changed my build. But I knew that there was going to be some way to make it work. And that's what I did instead. And final couple of things for me, just before I hand it over to Phil to see if he's got any questions he wants to ask. How are you finding the performance? Because I'm seeing a lot of people online, especially, and, and granted, of course, with Twitter, I mean, we're, we're the first to always say about this. It's like an echo chamber, isn't it? So you're always seeing the same things over and over again, even though that's probably not a general consensus. How are you finding the performance playing on PS5? There's a lot to say about this. A lot to say about this question. Firstly, I want to address anyone who listens to this, who thinks, why is this worth looking at Demon Souls? Bro, it was a different developer. Demon's Souls was done by Bluepoint. It was a remake of a game, not a game done from scratch. It makes sense for it to look worse. FromSoft have, have never really had... They've had beautiful environments and stuff. But for the times, people are saying this game looks like a PS3 game. It doesn't. If you go back to a PS3 game, they those look like arse now. I played Last of Us 1 on the PS3 the other day. It doesn't look good. It does not hold up, especially when you compare it to Last of Us 2. In terms of performance, rather than, like, aside from Demon's Souls, it being a correlation, every single platform seems to have its own issues. All of them suffer from the same frame rate issues, and that's mostly all that the PS5 suffers from. Granted, it's only... I'm playing on performance modes, which is supposed to be 60. It targets 60, but you get drops of, like, low 40s, which 
if you're used to playing on 30, you probably wouldn't notice it, but I'm used to 60 being a PC player. Um, well, it used to be primarily. I notice it, and it does bug me, but it's gotten to the point where I've just gotten used to it now. I got used to it quite quick, so it's okay. And that doesn't really hinder your gameplay at all. Um, but then the other platforms, my friend is playing on his Xbox Series S. And since day one, apparently it's been a bug with the Xbox. You cannot connect to the online services in Elden Ring. He hasn't been able to connect to online at all. And obviously he's playing his first playthrough. He doesn't really want to get invaded, so it's not hindered him much at all. And he doesn't really have anyone to co-op with. So it's not really bothered him, but that is a bug that's happening on Xbox right now, and I'm sure that is hindering a lot of players' experiences. And PC have their own issue where they can't properly customize their keybinds. So a lot of players who, say, play with a left-handed mouse, to be fair, I would never play Elden Ring on a keyboard and mouse. That would be disgusting. But a lot of people can't customize to make the game the most accessible for them. And that's a huge issue that I'm sure either FromSoft will address or modders will bring into the game probably within the next few days. Yeah, I mean, that co-op thing on the Xbox, that sucks. That really sucks. I mean, I mean, sure, general performance in terms of um, in terms of frame rate and stuff, that, of course, matters, especially in a game like this. Especially if you're doing PvP or something, I can imagine it's, like, it's doubly important. Um, but I can imagine there's a lot of players who probably thought, do you know what? I'm going to play this through. I always play Dark Souls in co-op, right? There's, there's bound to be people out there that only ever experience it that way. I mean, I I normally play through, like you were saying, Spence, I normally play through it solo. And after I've done the game, then it's open the fun then with co-op and just kind of just have fun and just go through it together, right? And just have a laugh. Uh, but I like to kind of have that kind of punishing experience solo, you know, where I could just cry to myself and nobody will know. Except for the wife when she opens the door. And then she's like, ooh. Ooh, and just closes it behind us slowly, right? That's all I want. I don't want. I don't want any anyone else sharing my pain with me. But I can imagine there's quite a big subset of people that that do like to play that way. And having that kind of gated off to them at the moment because of a bug, that really sucks. That's horrible. And the same thing with PC as well. I do feel sorry for them. I like we said before on the last episode, accessibility makes a lot of sense, and especially when it's built into the PC a standard you know with key bindings and that's gone that is grim that is grim um, and so the final question i've got for you spence is obviously i've been playing horizon up until this time and i'll be talking about it in a moment and i'm sure phil will be as well because i think we've both been playing the same thing my eyes so far have just been continually gifted from the moment i started that game until where i am now how are you finding this game looks on the PlayStation 5? Does it look like a PS5 game or does it look like something else? I think this game, hands down, does look like a PS5 game. I know a lot of people are saying otherwise. And sure, it's a cross-gen title. Um, but that's irrelevant. I've said that's irrelevant before in, in the past on the on the podcast. I don't think that really matters too much. The The thing people are missing is that although this game doesn't look as graphically impressive as say Demon Souls or Horizon Forbidden West or Ratchet. It looks better than a lot of other PS5 games, which I know you don't want me saying it, Davey, but it looks a lot better than Bugs and X. And eh, Destruction All Stars and stuff. Come on. It doesn't really look better than Bugs and X, does it? As soon as you see a bunger, 
you know that that's one of the best things you've ever seen in your entire goddamn life. And I bet you'll be walking that statement back when we get to big snacks, mate. You'll be like, this is it, boys. Game development has peaked. We got Bunga. We got Bunga and Fryer on screen together. This is wild, right? I can see you. I can see you walking this back so quick. So don't make some rash statement like that. Use a different example. Man, eat a PS5 port. There we go. All right, Cross-gen title I'll as well. I love that. But a lot of people are upset with how it looks, which I guess is understandable. But they have to account for the fact that this an open world game, all of this loaded in more or less at once. You can kind of see when you like teleport the different shrines of uh, shrines of grace, which are the new um the new bonfires in this game. You can see the world load in. The grass for some reason is the last thing it loads, and I don't know why they did that because you can always see the grass pop in. But you kind of just. Souls games have always been that little bit janky, but like in the right way. So I, I feel like you can kind of forgive it. I don't think all these people that have complained about how the game looks, none of them are Dark Souls fans. That is the wider community that have now come into the FromSoft um, kind of library of games. They've now come into Elden Ring having not experienced the past games. And they're like, why does this look like this? I've seen Demon Souls. That looks phenomenal. And they just haven't put two and two together in their small little brains. I don't understand. This game is beautiful. It is beautiful. It's, it doesn't hold a candle to some other games. But it's beautiful in its own right. There's so much has to load. So many enemies. So many particle effects. You can tell it's struggling to load them. Because it's dropping the low 40 FPS. Apparently the only fix for the frame rate issue. Is to play the PS4 vision on your PS5. I'm not going to do that. That's ludicrous. That's a madness. That's actually a madness. So, for me, I think it looks beautiful. I do think it looks beautiful. It looks like the best game FromSofts have made, which it should be, because it's the most recent one. It's maybe like eighth best looking game on PS5. I can't think of what the other seven games are. But I also don't think it'd be that hard considering you've got Spider-Man Remastered, Miles Morales, probably the Uncharted 4 Remastered, Demon Souls, Village, you got Returnal, Ratchet & Clank. Oh, maybe it's like 12th or something actually, never mind. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you're, you're pretty much just running off every single game that's been launched of any note on the PlayStation Big Play. snacks! <laughs> <laughs> yes! Let's go. Basically no, but every game has come out. I, I gotta say, from what from everything you've said, Spence, you've really kind of you've stoked the fire of anticipation. It's already very lit under my ass. And I can't wait to get into Elden Ring and to be able to talk about this with you and kind of bounce some things off and and for you to be able to open the can of worms that you're going to have on your lap when I get into Elden Ring and then have a million questions to ask you because I'm just getting constantly hit against a brick wall. The one final thing I'd kind of like to say about this game is that I don't think it's my favorite FromSoft game. Which I really very much thought it would be. I think it falls just short. And I know exactly why. And it's not even the game's fault. It's my own fucking bias. I hate open world games. I always have. I don't like them. 
and Elden Ring does it exceptionally well and I know it does and I appreciate the way it's laid out, how much work was put into the world. But I like the semi-linear paths that are in Dark Souls. So I'm, I'm only quote-unquote 20% through the game. But for now, I think I prefer Dark Souls 3 to Elden Ring. But it's close. Wow. Well, that's still really high. I mean, you're still putting that above titles like Bloodborne and like DS1 in particular, and Demon's Souls as well, which obviously is a lot of fun. So you're putting it way above the rest of the series. So that, that's still really good praise for this. I think I'm going into this, I, I've got no kind of expectation about how I'm going to feel. But I'll be very surprised if I feel that it's better than Bloodborne, which is my favorite one. I honestly don't know what it would take for something to be better than Bloodborne. I don't know. But I I think that's fine to have that kind of inner bias. I, I think ultimately, sometimes, you know, you like what you like. And it's good that they've taken this this new approach to it and kind of tried to spice it up. But it's not always for the benefit of you, the player, right? And you might enjoy it, but you might then kind of still yearn for that older look. And I suppose that's where most of us come down when it comes to Resident Evil, which we can see here. You know, we we like the new way it's gone, but we always prefer to, well, me personally anyway, I'd love for it to go back to what it was on the PS1 and for it to go back into, you know, like Resident Evil 1. I'd love that. But that's just, that's the way it is. And that's your own, that's your own way of projecting onto the game that you like. And there's, there's nothing wrong with taking it in a new direction, but that that's important to know. Phil, have you got any questions for Spence that you want to, you want to ask him before we move on to what we've been playing? Oh, hey, hey, I'm on the podcast too. Hey guys. It was turning into a bit of uh, a Spencer and Davey show there. We need to give the people what they want. Come on, more Phil in the show. That's what I've been hearing on Reddit anyway. Well, Spencer, I've got three short questions for you, and I want a yes or a no answers because you've talked about this game far too much, okay? So I only want three words from you, okay? So here are my three questions. Have you found the Elden Ring? What's in the pot that we saw on the VGAs? And what's your rating? Three words. No. I can't do three words. I'll make him short. I'll make him brief. I'll make him brief. I haven't found the Elden Ring. I found four shards of the Elden Ring. I still haven't found the pot because the world is that vast. That's disappointing. I really want to know what's in that pot. It's a fella, bro. He's just a fella. He's just a nice bloke. I found other pots, but I've not found that specific pot. And my rating for the game. And of course, this is a rating in progress. Okay, I'm sure we're going to be hearing about this for the next couple of episodes of the podcast. You can give you definitive final ending at that point, but what what would you rate it at this point? I think Phil's getting at. 9 out of 10. Strong 9 as well. It's not, it's a strong 9. This game, I have not wanted to put this game down for a second. I was actually devastated I couldn't play it today. Well, that is good. That is really, really high. And I suppose we'll have to see how that opinion changes, or if it stays the same, if it stays consistent over the course of the next couple of episodes while you dig more into Elden Ring. And of course, for you audience, if you're playing Elden Ring right now, I'd love to know your thoughts about it because I'm sure on the next episode we're going to be revisiting this. And it's hopefully with me talking about it as well, which would be quite nice. Write in to the email, psvtrustgmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game. How is it holding up to you, especially if you're an old school Dark Souls fan? But I would also like to hear from people that are just coming in brand new into the series as well. Would love to hear from you. Phil, you and me have been playing Horizon Forbidden West. Let's go! 
the my most anticipated game of the year outside of God of War, and it's finally here. I want to know, Phil, how are you getting on with the game so far? Make sure to tell us kind of how far you are actually into it as well, because that could kind of change your opinion on on how you feel about it as well, depending on things that happen in the story. Over to you, Phil. Thanks, mate. You are right. I have been playing and solely playing Horizon Forbidden West over the last two weeks. I've been jumping in couple of hours here a couple of hours there and i have been streaming um put a my link up a couple of times on um on twitter uh, for my twitch channel um and i recently bought a cheap ps camera won that for 10 quid on ebay i can't believe it um and it's really really fun so if anyone does want to join me uh, i'm sure the urls will be in the description of the podcast um i've played about what 12 14 hours now um i'm somewhere in between chain scrape and barren light just doing all the side quests and basically spending every opportunity i can to do the e3 pan and just look around because this game is beautiful that's all i want to do in the game the fighting and everything else in the missions. I hate to say it. It's like the old game at the moment. It's just more of the same. There's nothing new, really. I'm only at the start of the game. So please forgive me if this game dramatically changes once I get through the gates of Baron Light. But up to now, it's pretty much the same game. But everything looks so much better. Oh my God. I cannot believe it. And of course, Spence, I know you're going to hate me. I've been playing it on resolution mode, not performance, bro. This is actually the one game where I will allow it because, as Davey said when I went over his on the Friday, he showed me a brief little moment of, I was going to say Elden Ring then, of Horizon. And I played it on the resolution mode, the 30 FPS, and it felt buttery smooth, which 30 FPS usually doesn't. So I was blown away. So have at it, mate. Enjoy your resolution mode. And I'm sure this game is going to take me hours upon hours upon hours to get through because, as I say, a lot of it is me just looking around and just enjoying being in the game. Because, let me say it again, the game is beautiful. I don't know how you feel about it, Davey, when it comes to its looks, but I've been blown away at every opportunity. Yeah, can I just say, I'll keep it just talking about looks right now. Looks aren't always everything. They really aren't. Sometimes you've got to have some personality there. Maybe for a one night, maybe a quick couple of pumps. Looks would do it. Looks would get you through the door. But they won't keep you around. They're not going to be marriage material, okay? This game, this game definitely is the best looking game on PlayStation 5. Without a question, in my mind. It is a visual feast. My eyes have never been this blessed to look upon something. It is insane. It's like looking at the Ark of the Covenant. I feel like I, I feel like my screen is just going to come out and just burn my eyes out because it's f- so fucking beautiful. It's insane. And where I am in the game, I'm 29 hours, 30-odd hours into this game now, and it's so varied. The landscape is so varied. It's actually insane. I've been in deep jungles. I've been in ice. I've been in deserts. I've been in literally mountainous... Com- terrain i've been literally every single terrain you can think of and it all looks insane i've been posting random different bits on twitter for just moments that just take my breath away and bearing in mind that i'm sharing those tweets and that's in 1080 because i still got it from when i'm capturing gameplay so i never do it in 4k just because it takes up so much memory and even that just looks insane i, I was in this moment where 
I was just walking out towards the water, to, towards like a bit of a lake, and it started raining. And I just stood there, and all I could see was just the raindrops hitting the surface of the water and all of them just rippling. And I thought, oh my God. Like the, the sound was all in my headset, so it was just full, like kind of surround sound of rain. It sounded amazing hitting water. I thought, I wonder what happens if I swim into the water and just look up, right? Because normally there wouldn't be anything there. They wouldn't, you wouldn't see those ripples like hitting that water from underneath. I, I've never really noticed that in a game before. And so I did that. And true as, true as anything, yes, it's all just hitting the top of the surface. You can see the surface getting the raindrops hitting it and, and rippling and stuff. And it blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. From the very first moment that I went underwater at all in that game, it just reminded me of the way I felt playing Uncharted 4, where it begins underwater. And I thought, whoa, this looks insane. It just blew my mind. It just honestly blew my mind. And we've had so many good experiences on PlayStation 5 already that have been technical marvels and have looked just next gen. This is the first time that I'm really excited for what this generation is going to bring. From going back and playing Horizon The Frozen Wilds only a couple of weeks ago, and seeing the state of that game. I remember at the time that game was absolutely mind-blowing. And then when you compare that to what The Last of Us 2 did. It looks nothing. It looks like absolute nothing. I cannot wait until we get a couple of years deep into this generation. And we can see that Horizon doesn't look like anything. Because right now at the moment is the most impressive game I've ever seen in my entire life. And we are only at the start of the generation. I, I can't believe it. You know, it, it, it's that type of game, a lot like, I think, Killzone, was it Shadowfall, that we had at the beginning of the PS3 generation, where everyone was just like, my God, jaw hitting the floor at every opportunity throughout the game. Every set piece, every kind of new vista that you, you're able to take in, it's just incredible and all through the game there's so many moments and i've only done a short amount of this game and i can't wait to get back on and play it um i just remember this time i'm, I'm just climbing a mountain it's just one of the bog standard kind of side missions right i'm just climbing a mountain to kind of see what's at the top and and when, once i got up there i i spent the same amount of time that i spent climbing as i did standing at the top looking at that vista and just looking around and we know what comes once you get to a top of a mountain in Horizon. The rappel animation. That's the money shot. And it never gets old in Horizon. It's in there, boys. And I enjoyed every second of that. And Aloy looks incredible as she's rappelling down that mountain. Yeah, she really does. And y you've got only a short bit of time now until you get something else that would kind of stop you having to use that rappel. And, um, and, and that... I mean, it's all little trailers. It's the glide ability, right? The Breath of the Wild glide ability. You get that fairly early on in the game. And as soon as you get that, my God, it just opens up so much in terms of exploration because the thing I found at the beginning, I was doing a similar thing to you, Phil, where I was doing every side quest that was on offer. I think I did everything in the Daunt, which is the first area where, where you are. Uh, between that and Chainscrape, I did everything there. And, um, and I always found going up on top of the mountains, I thought, oh, Jesus Christ, this climb down is kicking my ass, right? It's kind of annoying. But as soon as you get that part, it's like, yes, I can't wait to get somewhere high because then I'm just going to start floating down really slow down through everything, just staring at stuff. And, and you're right, it doesn't, it doesn't get old. It really doesn't. Now, I think what you said there in your initial kind of opening part um, about the gameplay, I think actually you're, you're pretty much bang on the money with this. There's a lot of improvements 
in Horizon Forbidden West from the first game. In, in fact, in nearly every single way. And I think none of this really would have stood out to me if I hadn't just come off playing the Frozen Wilds. Because playing that and then going into this, it's so obvious what they've done. The first thing I've got to say, guys, and this is for the audience especially, the side quests on this game, every single one of them add value, which is something that the first game did not do. Every single one, you either get like an armor piece or you get a new weapon or you get something that's going to make a huge difference to your character. In the first game, you'd be lucky you'd get, you know, just the currency in the game and maybe some maybe some different um, different resources to use. And, and that's kind of about it. Whereas in this, each one, they take probably an hour for each side quest, especially later on. They become quite um, quite involved. They're really, really, really well done. They're actually fantastically well done. And i got to say, it really adds something to the game where every single character you interact with has been mo-capped. It just adds so much life into each character you interact with for them all to have really, really good voice acting and great performances, even from just people you interact with once and then you move on, you never see them again. I haven't really seen any character models repeat. Everyone seems to be new. I don't see like that bog standard person that you see in most open world games repeat like every 20 people. Everyone seems like they've been crafted and it does feel like a real life place, which is something that the first game certainly didn't feel like because really you end up just seeing people where they're, you're talking, their mouth just, and they're just saying whatever they're saying, right? Whereas on this, everyone does feel like as if they're a main character, even though they're obviously not, um, which, which I think is really good. The other quality of life improvements that have been done to this is that the skill trees have had a major overhaul. So skill trees in this game, much like the first game, it's a case you invest in different things. Um, so, you know, be that trappers or be that machine upgrades or melee combat or range combat. And each of those skill trees then has, I think, 20 odd or 30 odd points of different things you can put into them. Uh, each with their own different level of skill points they need to be able to unlock that next node. And when I first started on that skill trees and I was in that first area, I remember thinking, God, this is just going to be work. And am I really going to use any of these things? Right? I know what weapons I like. I know which weapons I don't like from the previous game. Am I really going to be too bothered? And what I found over these last 15 or so hours that I've been playing um, after my first initial 15 hours is that the combat and the weapons you get are so varied. There's so many different weapons in this game compared to the first game. And it's quickly become a case of me using a weapon and then kind of discarding it actually quite quickly compared to in the first game where I had kind of two sets of weapons that I used. I had my starter gear and then I had my end game gear. And that was pretty much about it. Whereas now, even 30 hours in, I've gone through about four different pieces of armor that I've used. And I've gone through about six or seven different... Um, full weapon wheels of weapons uh, as I've moved through the game, which is which is really surprising to me. In the previous game, I was always using a rope caster, always using a, um, like a, I can't remember what they're called now, a, a trip, it's like trip wires, but I think call it trip casters or something. Am I right on that one, Phil? Yeah, trip caster. So I was always using those two weapons, but in this, I found a weapon that I am absolutely over the moon with. It's called a bolt, uh, a bolt thrower or a bolt blaster, something like that. And it's basically like a rapid fire machine gun, uh, but just flowing out bolts. And that thing is so fun to use. 
and getting it with different ammo types that you find in different weapons has been really rewarding for me because I'm finding whole new uses for tools that previously maybe I didn't get along with or didn't like, and now I'm getting them in different variations, which can really make a big difference to how all my kit ends up working together. And those skills having their own individual points, which you can then level into uh, specific weapon skills for a particular weapon, they're really starting to all come to life at this point now that I'm moving on through the game. I'm at the point where I could probably finish it if I just stuck to main quests. But much like you said, Phil, I'm going off. I'm doing everything else apart from the main quests. So I can't see myself wrapping this up anytime soon. Yeah, I could see myself talking about this. Sorry, listeners, for the next couple of shows, definitely, because I'm taking my time with this one. And just going back to what you were saying, Davey, I just want to reiterate how realistic this game looks. You know, you go around and the NPCs are a joy to be around. You know, every interaction, you're just wowed by what you're actually seeing. And it, it just feels so real. Like, hell, I'm moving to Chainscrape. Every single one of them had a beer in their hands. I'd love to live there. It looked great. Yeah, I, I think out of everyone, being with the Osoram uh, would probably be the best. You know, be able to just literally just be there in kind of like biggish armor. But really, everyone's just all about just talking about for the forge. For everything you say, buy the forge. And just literally just drink a thing of ale. And that's all you need. In fact, that might end up, much like you're saying, just incorporating buy the forge into pretty much everything I say. I, I think it just works with everything as well. I need one of those big Horizon mugs for, for the next show so I can swig my ale as we're uh, chatting games. Yeah, I think that would be good. I think that would be good. So at your early stage of the game, um, even though you've played quite a number of hours, but you, as you said, you're kind of doing everything that you can within, within those areas, which does take some time. What are your thoughts at this stage? What, what do you think in terms of a rating? In terms of a rating? Wow. Well, I, I'm kind of in a different place to you, I think, with Horizon, purely because I platinumed the original game and didn't actually get chance to, uh, in my busy schedule, you know me, um, to get back to the DLC. So it's been quite a gap. So I'm not noticing so many of the um, quality of life improvements that you're talking about. Because my knowledge of the previous game, I thought it was a very, very good game, right? Uh, maybe the minutiae is lost on me a little bit in what they've actually changed. Um, but the game itself, as I'm saying, I'm not really seeing a lot of progression outside the incredible graphics and, of course, the mocap on literally everyone you speak to. Um, I'm really enjoying the game. I think at the moment it's probably a, a strong seven, which I think is probably quite low. And from what you're saying is super encouraging because I can see that jumping up next episode as I get a bit further into the game and I start doing a little bit of difference in the game, something something new, right? You're talking about all these new weapons. At the moment, it's all the same that I've seen before. I don't know what a bolt blaster is. I don't know what shredder gauntlets are. I haven't seen those yet in the game. I haven't glided. Although, did I like them in Fortnite? I don't know, maybe. We'll see. We'll see what that's all about, right? Because that's literally a rip-off from Fortnite, isn't it? Everyone seems to like that. And I do like, really like that Rapal uh, animation. Um, but we'll see next episode. At the moment, I'm sticking on a 7, but that's to be um, concluded maybe in our next episode. So I'll, I'll put a couple of hours in over the next two weeks, I think. Well, for me, guys, the way I'm thinking about it... Oh, sorry. I'm doing like a Spence here when I'm going to talk about this. I want to say something that really, really stood out to me with this game, starting it especially. You start this game in the same place you kind of leave the previous one. And I really liked that. It's not very often, you know, if I think about sequels, right? God of War, 
you start the next one and they're like, oh, Kratos is like walking around. He's like fully powered for the first mission. And then something takes all his powers off him. And then he's like, oh, God, I got to work and get all my same abilities back I've always had. And like, you know, Metroid does that pretty much every game that has a sequel. This game, I think it's really clever what they've done here. It's moving you into a new environment with all brand new machines that do not exist in the previous game. And all the ones that do, you've already got the cauldron ability to unlock them because it's in the previous game. That blew my mind straight away, the ability to be able to get a mount immediately. I thought that was fantastic. And the fact that you start off in your end game armor from the previous game, but the reason why the shield is gone is because it says that the batteries run out on it. And I was like, yes, that is so fucking clever because it's like six months later. I was like, that is so good rather than it being back in Nora armor with load of shit gear. I was like, yes, this is great. I agree with you, but not 100% because there was a line of dialect in the game very early on, which I thought, that's a bit lame. And your buddy comes along and, and he goes, oh, you're traveling a bit light. And uh, Aloy turns around and went, yeah, I lost it in a fight. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th those weapons wouldn't be shit now at this point in the game anyway. So that's that's fine. I overlooked that. I remember rolling my eyes at that too, actually. There's your explainer. Where's all her weapons gone? Oh, I just lost them in a fight. Yeah, they got nicked. They got nicked when she was on the journey. Gone. Tough six months, mate. We had tough six months. Um, I, I got to say, I think that by the time you get to where I am, in the game, I think your opinion is going to be vastly changed because as the world opens up, you get a whole host of activities to do outside of just side quests. And the side quests really start adding a lot of depth to them. And from following the main missions through, you get upgrades and you get tools which then can make going off the beaten path even more rewarding. So I think you're going to find that there's, there's a lot there. And especially when you get to your first cauldron, I think that's that's gonna blow your tits off because you'll see some you'll see just graphics on a whole other level. Those cauldrons are, are probably the best looking thing in the game, which is which is saying something. I think where I am um, from seeing the story to where I have, where things are really moving, and obviously I'm not going to talk about any of the story stuff, uh, especially for you uh, audience who haven't played it, and for Phil. I think so far I'm going in with this game being a nine out of ten, easy nine out of ten, without a shadow of a doubt. I think the only things that stop it from being a 10 is from what we kind of talked about already, which is that even though it improves on every single aspect of the previous game, everything, every single facet has been improved significantly from, from the last game. It doesn't do enough new in there to really warrant it being a 10 experience for me. Now, that could change depending on where the story goes to. At the moment, the story is really building and I'm seeing a lot of stuff that is blowing my mind. And I can't wait to be able to speak to back, uh, about this with Phil when he gets to where I am. But I'll need to play it through to 100% to see if that moves from that. But I, I'd go with a 9 out of 10 on this easily. And I think that's enough, guys. We've gone quite a long time on this, talking about Elden Ring Horizon. But as we already said earlier in the podcast, these are probably our most anticipated games of the entire year. So it's worth giving them the shine that they deserve. Now let's move on to quick news. Quick news. Just to let you know, listeners, Spencer has started feeling really, really bad and he's had to go. So we've had to just let him go. But if I see him on Elden Ring, as soon as we finish this show, I'm going to go mental at him. So for his, for his safety and his health, I hope he's managed to get his head down and get some rest. 
So it leaves just you and me, Phil, the golden gods of NPS We Trust, the PlayStation podcast, even if I do say so myself. I would be pouring one out for a fallen brother, but I am drinking boiling hot tea and I don't want to scold myself. So I hope Spencer gets better. And I really, really hope he's not just jinxed us and he's now on Elden Ring smashing through that content. (laughs) Yeah, I hope not too. So let's move it on to quick news. And for today, Phil, I was going to say, guys, this is going to be so weird just being us two, mate. So weird. For today, I've decided to go for Street Fighter voice collection. So you can... Quick news. A next-gen upgrade for Cyberpunk 2077, which has been greatly anticipated, is now finally live. And until the 3rd of March, you can buy the game on sale for $19.99. So if you have been thinking about picking it up, now might be the time to get it. In terms of what this patch actually has, it has new weapons, new apartments for V, ray tracing, visual quality improvements, 4K resolution, which is of course dynamic, dual sense features, faster loading, a performance mode, and ray tracing mode. So there's a lot here for you if you do want to go into Night City. Quickity quick, 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 quick news. Yeah, I'm sticking with the funny intros. Quick news. EA reportedly noted that Battlefield 2042's trouble with the Frostbite engine, issues with the work from home, and the surprise launch of Halo's Infinite multiplayer four days before the 2042's release date is reason why it's failed to meet players' expectations. Did any of you actually play this game? Let me know your experiences in the comments below. Horizon, as if we haven't been talking about it enough, worth bringing it into quick news as well. Horizon has a play and plant program, which is launched around the world. There's two of them that I want to talk about here. So over in the US, PlayStation have partnered with the Arbor Day Foundation in a bid to complete three different reforestation projects. To take part, all you have to do is achieve the Reach the Dawn trophy. Now this unlocks after finishing the tutorial level, and a tree will then be planted. Players have until the 25th of March to count towards the project, so get to it. Now over here in the UK, PlayStation have partnered with the Eden Project. The famous biomes have been lit the same colour as Aloy's Shieldwing to celebrate the launch of the game. Thanks to that partnership, the National Wildflower Centre will create 12 acres of wildflower habitat in Morecambe, Lancashire. So that might be finally a reason to actually bother to go to Lancashire. Quick. News? Guardians of the Galaxy has underperformed commercially. Sales fell below initial expectations, guys. This has come as a huge surprise to the podcast, as we all loved it and gave it high ratings. If we want to see more from the Guardians, then we're going to need to vote from our wallets. If you haven't played the game, and you're not playing Horizon or Elden Ring, then go out and buy Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. You won't regret it. (laughs) I love that one. I love that noise so much, I never know what he's saying. Oh, quick news. Bioshock is getting a Netflix adaption. Oh, God. In a statement by Take-Two Interactive's chairman and CEO, Strauss Zelnick, he said, Netflix is among the best and most forward-thinking storytellers in all of entertainment today. We are thrilled they can share our vision and commitment to the Bioshock franchise, which is beloved by millions of fans around the world. As for development of the next Bioshock game, he went on, 
to say 2K's Cloud Chamber Studio is deep in active development on the next iteration of the series. And coupled with our partnership with Netflix, we remain highly confident that Bioshock will continue to captivate and engage audiences like never before. Now, bear in mind, listener, that we've heard the news that Bioshock has been adapted to film about 10 years ago. So watch this space, but I can't see it happening anytime soon. Ah, um, ah, um, ah, um, quick news. Shadow Warrior 3 is coming to PlayStation Now, day one at launch. This never happens and might signal good things to come for you if you're on the service. And it's hinting towards Sony maybe, maybe taking this more seriously, especially with all the Project Spartacus news that we'll be covering later in the show. Quick news. Speaking of TV shows, Last of Us TV show apparently won't be aired until 2023 according to HBO. So for those of you that are desperately waiting for the live-action adaption of the story, you might have a little while later to go. Quick news. Quick news. We have our first look at the PlayStation VR headset design. And oh my god, guys, you want to check this shit out. If you haven't seen what it looks like, head over to the MPS We Trust Twitter, where I have actually retweeted it. Yes, I've taken control. Spencer... Yeah, he was too busy tweeting about himself, so we've taken over the MPS We Trust Twitter account a little bit, so we're going to be a little bit more active over uh, the foreseeable future. So go check out that post if you haven't, guys. Nice quick one, that. The Uncharted movie and its box office results are live, and it turns out it's exceeded my expectations by a country mile, because the film has ended up earning worldwide 200 million, which is insane, and has actually gone on to win the box office for the last two weekends in a row. Now, following the movie's strong opening weekend, Sony Pictures Motion Picture Group CEO Tom Rothman said Uncharted is a new hit movie franchise for the company, so we can expect to see more sequels in the near future. And now, I haven't actually seen this film. I don't know about you, Phil. No, someone bailed on me when they said they were going to watch it with me. Who? Not me. Me. I'm on about you, son. (laughs) I haven't seen it either. Should we go together? We could do. Are we going to tell Spence? Well, this is the thing. Spence has already seen it. And he actually said it was good. He went with his missus. So he's the one who bailed on us because we were supposed to go as a group originally. So he bailed on us and then I bailed on you. But I'm going to recouple up with you now. And so we'll go together. If we can work out the dates, uh, I'm definitely up for seeing the movie. But... I don't know what it's going to be like because Spencer likes trash movies. Yeah, yeah. He liked Welcome to Raccoon City. and Jesus Christ, that's a terrible movie. So who knows? But Spencer said it's good, so take that opinion for all it's worth. Base. Breaking news. Call of Duty 2023 is reportedly delayed to 2024, making it the first time since 2004 that a mainline COD game will ever skip a year. They say COD isn't going to be exclusive to Xbox. Well, it can't be exclusive if they don't release one. Very, very clever, Xbox. I see you. Sonic Boom! Wow. I forgot that was his voice back then. 
Jesus Christ. The PlayStation Plus games for March 2022 have been revealed. And this month, if I do say so myself, is looking like an absolute jam-packed stormer of a month. We've got Ghost Runner for PS5, Ark Survival Evolve for PS4, Team Sonic Racing for PS4, and Ghost of Tsushima Legends, which is the online co-op kind of campaign mode thing for PS4 and PS5. So for those of you that are interested in those games, do make sure to add them to your library, even if you're too involved at the moment with Horizon and Elden Ring, as at least they're there for you when you actually want to go play them. Now, Phil, super quickly, does this month appeal to you at all? I've got one question for you, mate. When are we digging? Exactly. That was my thoughts as well going into this. I I mean, I'm chuffed that Ark Survival Evolves there. It's a game I've always wanted to play for a long time, but just never really got to. And Ghost Runner, actually, the same thing. When Spencer was talking about that on a few episodes ago now, saying about how much he, he really liked the look of it, I was interested. So having them there when we actually want to get to them is really good, and I'm, I'm really pleased with this month. But, same as you, I just want to go dig in again. We haven't done it for ages now, and with the games that we've got sitting there for us, I can't see us getting digging anytime soon. But when we finally can, and we can put on our dwarven our dwarven skins and get down in those mines and shoot some bugs, that's all I want to do. Quick news. Evo has announced that there is no Smash Brothers. Dun, dun, dun. And we're going to branch out on this one a little bit because some of the guys on the podcast, Davey and Spencer, you are in, well, I guess the semi-competitive scene, especially in Wales. You, you compete a little bit. Davey, you've stepped a little bit back from the scene. How does this sort of impact you? Because I know this was a, a big draw for watching Evo. Yeah, this really is. This is actually, it shouldn't be surprising, to be honest, because Nintendo are just fucking clueless about competitive Smash Bros. I mean, they held, for the first time ever, they've kind of taken more of an active role in the Smash community. It's very much still a grassroots community, even though it's the biggest fighting game at EVO, which is insane. You know, when you think about EVO and EVO fighting game tournaments, you always, or your mind typically would go to things like Street Fighter, maybe Mortal Kombat, but those games, even with how big those those games sell and how well they kind of represent the general fighting game community, the Evo turnout is nowhere compared to the Smash turnout. Smash turnout dwarfs them. The difference is, though, that Nintendo does not support those groups. So whereas you have, like, 250 or 300 people will enter for, like, an Injustice 2 tournament, you know, just at the end of that game's lifespan... You'll have a 10k pop bonus because Warner Bros. put it in there. Whereas Smash will have 2,500 people enter Evo 2017. And it's like, oh, cheers, here's your 500 quid. It's nuts. It's actually insane. Like, Nintendo do not get it. And because Smash DLC is finished now, there's no reason to support that game anymore. So why would they bother including it there? That's all it comes down to. That's literally it. There's literally there's no reason for them to put any support into this game anymore because all their sales of the DLC and everything is done. So why do they give a shit? But it's just the wrong message for everything, especially as this year is going to be the first Evo in the last two years that we're going to have physical face-to-face competition. Whereas for the previous two years, the reason why Smash hasn't been there because it's been online only. And Melee, 
the community have been able to create that with rollback netcode, which is insane. Whereas Smash Ultimate, the newest release from Nintendo themselves, has got some of the worst online I've ever experienced in my life. So there's no way they could have put that on Evo stage because it would look embarrassing, especially when you got it competing with titles like Guilty Gear Strive and, and even Rivals of Ether. if that was there where they got rollback netcode. It's a madness. It's an absolute madness to me. I mean, Nintendo just proving again that they're just completely clueless at anything they want to do when it comes to creating a community and supporting a community. They're so far behind. They have so much to learn from. Um, in terms of the wider Evo announcement, um, March 8th, when we get to hear what games are actually featured there, I'm really going to be hyped for it because I really like the events where they have old games from the past they bring back. And I'm really hoping, like they had last year, they had Marvel 2. Um, I'm really hoping that we get to see some more Marvel stuff. That's what I want to see. Or, failing that, maybe bring something back from the past, something we haven't seen for ages, like Bloody Raw, or like one of the early Mortal Kombat games, Mortal Kombat X or something. Um, that would be so hyped to see. I'd be super chuffed with that. I mean, what are your thoughts on this, Phil, as as kind of an outsider to um, to the wider Smash community and stuff? Is there any games that you want to see here? Or what do you feel about the actual Nintendo's approach to this? Well, we are going to be digging into the Capcom Street Fighter 6 announcement and what, what sort of came with that. And Capcom are going back to their back catalogue and, and going through and sort of updating a couple of older titles for us to play. But one they did miss out. Where's Power Stones? Couldn't we be playing that at Evo? Incredible. That would bring some numbers. Well, it'd probably bring a lot of older generation into the into the fold uh, and just, just to reminisce about the past, really. But that would put a smile on my face. Um, but just going back to your point about, you know, Smash at Evo, that's always surprised me. Why Nintendo supported competitive Smash at all? Because if I'm looking at the numbers, I'm thinking, well, the amount of copies that I sell to mums and dads at full retail price compared to the these these people that claim to be competitive at Smash Brothers, the numbers just don't add up to me. I'd, I'd much rather put my effort, my time, my money into marketing towards, you know, next Christmas and, and get those uh, copies under the tree. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think ultimately that's probably where Nintendo's head is as well. They don't view it as a fighting game. You know, they don't view it as being competitive. They they know there's a competitive scene there and people go wild for it. But that's not where their main focus is either. You know, it is very much like you're saying about just getting those sales numbers in. And Smash, it, it sells. You know, it sells absolute bucket loads. It often becomes the best-selling game on that individual console outside of maybe your Mario Karts. But either, either way, it's, it's a big hitter. Oh, and of course, Pokemon Assist. Nowhere, it's not on Pokemon's numbers. But it, it does exceptionally well. I just think that there's an opportunity to always have constant marketing for it if you were supporting those those tournaments because it does make headlines. You know, if there's a big payout or there's big hype that's with it, there, there is then that, at least there's stories. It's like, I don't follow League, right? And obviously you do. But all I see on Twitter all the time is different organizations tweeting about like who they've got in the fold now or who they're getting rid of or how well they've done at a certain tournament and the prize money that's been dished out and how much there is for Worlds and all these different things. And sure, I'm not interested by League, but if somebody was just getting constantly bombarded by these messages, that may be a thing they think, do you know what, it might be worth me actually diving into this or watching it. 
Nintendo could make some money from from revenue, from hosting tournaments on streams or or anything. There's loads of different ways they could make revenue from it, but they just choose not to, and they just choose to ignore it. And I think that's just the worst stance you can take is to just deny your game even being there, because it, what what harm does it do for them? Nothing. Just they won't make anything from it, so they think, do you know what? Fuck the community. And that's just the worst stance that you can take. Especially when you've got a community which is as deep and invested as the Smash Brothers community are. It's just unbelievable. And to be fair to them, how difficult is it for them to go, we're bringing the Wii Balance Board into Smash. Everyone would go fucking crazy if that was their announcement at the next Evo. And they'd sell gangbusters of the game. Come on. That's the way to get it under the Christmas trees and on that birthday wish list for little Timmy O'Toole. I like the uh, I like the f- the first and last name for that, Timmy O'Toole. It's a nice one. It's a nice one. That I've heard that before. He's, like he's that. the kid that got stuck down the well in The Simpsons. Don't know why that Is came he? into my head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Little Timmy O'Toole. I like it. I like it. Well, following that news, let's move it on to rumor has it. Kick it. Wake up with a rumor and you don't want to go. You ask if it's confirmed and they still say no. Rumor has it that a new PlayStation State of Play could be on the way in March. Apparently, it's rumored to be the big one. Now, the claim comes from Nick Baker, who's host the Xbox Era podcast. Obviously, you don't want to listen to those when you could listen to the number six best PlayStation podcast of 2022. But anyway, he says it's going to be a big one, and apparently he's been quite right with different things in the past. So there is some credence to this. Phil, what do you want to see, and what do you think would qualify it to be a big one? Well, I think asking me what I want to see and what I think will possibly be shown will be quite different, really. What I think will be shown possibly is going to be something to do with the big one and the big one in my mind on playstation is always god of war that's the biggest game i think that everyone knows playstation for okay we've got the last of us and we've got uncharted but god of war i think that's the iconic character for playstation so that would be the big one for me but what do i want to see i want to see more atomic heart that game has got me. I've been watching so many little videos on YouTube about that. I'm hype about that. I cannot wait to see more on that, but I very much doubt it's going to be that. Yeah, I mean, Atomic Heart would be awesome. I remember that I'd forgotten that you were so hyped on this game, and I shared something in our chat, and you were like, oh, this is the game I was on about months ago. I was like, oh, really? And then I started going down the rabbit hole with Atomic Heart and looking at all the different stuff. So I'm very much the same as you. Although we did just have that announcement from them, didn't we, that we spoke about in the last episode, that we're going to get the release date towards the end of this year, right? And it is this year. So who knows? But showing it at a Sony stage, that would be awesome. I'd be, I'd be really happy with that. Might be like the, the mid-year Game Awards thing they do, the Summer the summer Games Fest or whatever. That That's probably where I'd anticipate to see that. I, I'm with you on this. I think it's God of War. I reckon if they're going to make it a big one, what do you show? You show God of War. And the big thing is going to be the release date. Now, there has been a, a different rumor um, or bit of news, I suppose you maybe call it, that went out today I saw on Twitter, but I didn't think it was actually true, so I haven't included it. And that was that a placeholder's gone up for God of War, which showed it coming out in June. Now, 
I can't see it being June. I think the way the game looks in terms of its like snowy, snowy kind of presentation, it would make sense to me to be like in the latter half of the year. But who really cares about any of that shit, right? It's winter right now and I'm playing in a really tropical jungle in Horizon. It do- doesn't really matter, does it, ultimately? Uh, yeah, I think if we manage to see some God of War, I don't want to see too much. So all I really want to know is when it's coming out. That's all I want to know. And what kind of collects editions are there? Because it's definitely a game that I want to buy some kind of statue for if it's good enough. I'm surprised you've got enough room after you bought the uh, collector's edition for Horizon. Because that mammoth is a beast. <laughs> I know. Have a look at this, audience. Jesus Christ. Look at the state of this. Oh! My, my tusk! My, my tusk fell off! But yes. For our audio listeners, uh, Davy is holding his mammoth up to the up to the camera and he's just broken it, I believe. <laughs> no, it's, it just, they slot in, they slot in, they slot bad, it's not that deep. But yeah, it's, it's a bit of a monster. I think I've got enough room for probably one more collectible. And then after that, it is game over. Something's going to have to go into storage from that point, which is always a hard thing to do, you know, to be able to say, well, something's got to get retired. But there's a couple of things that I've had for a number of years now, and maybe it would be worth refreshing it up. So all depends on what's shown. It's kind of a nice point to get to, really, because you don't just buy everything. Because I've been at that point for a while where if I'm going to buy a new collectible, I've got to replace something. So this new collectible has got to be better than what I'm displaying currently. So I'm I'm looking forward to Death Stranding 2 whenever that comes out. If Kojima's going to bring me a new baby, I might have to move out some of the Gundams at some stage. I think they're going to be next to go on my shelf. Yeah, it is always a tough call. But that's the thing, though, isn't it? I suppose I can't really think about anything else that we could have that would be big because it doesn't seem like it's the right time for us to see more of Spider-Man 2 or Logan or anything like that. I can see those games being shown later on this year, maybe at E3. I can't really see them being in the March presentation. The two things that I want to see above all else, excluding God of War, would be Stray on the lower end. I know it's not like a huge announcement, right? People aren't going to go wild. You know, you're not going to see people out in the streets, woo, like popping off for Stray. But I'm really interested in that game. I love cats. And to play as a cat, always going to be a good time. What outside of a game about a cat do you know about this? Like, what, what do you know? It, just, it seems like it's popping up everywhere, Stray, and it's slightly annoying me. Because everything I see, every PlayStation post I see, they've snuck it in as if we're talking about it. And now we're talking about it because they sneak it in everywhere. It's just cool. It's just how often do you get to play as animals? Not very often. And every time they kind of make an impact. I think about Tokyo Jungle pretty much on a daily basis. And so if I can have a game that I'm playing as a cat, cats have the best life, mate. They have literally, I got two cats and all they do is sleep and then cuddle. That is it, right? They literally don't do anything. They don't really go outside very often. They can't be asked, especially in the winter. They just literally just meow at you until you feed them. And then when you're in bed, they get under the covers and have a cuddle. And that is it. That sounds like the best game ever. This sounds like a Nintendo Furries game more than it does a PlayStation game, doesn't it? Something big to blow people away. What's this cat going to do? Has he got a jetpack? Has he got a machine gun? (laughs) Has he got an axe that he can call through walls that shoots lightning? What's he doing? Well, this is the mystery. This is the mystery. This is why this could be the big one. It's because it's Stray. But leaving that game to the side, leaving it astray, 
The only other thing I think would make sense seeing here would be more PSVR 2 stuff. Because we know that there's the new Horizon game that's coming to it. We don't know anything about it though. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know any of the games actually, what they actually look like on this system. But now we've seen the headset itself, which we already spoke about in quick news, and it looked great. Now may be the time to actually really unpack and show the general audience and the general public what this thing can do and what games look like on it. And that would make sense to me being around about now. Maybe we can hear about the release date, but maybe that's a step too far. They're going to need a statement game to come out with. If they're going to launch this and it's going to be a hit, they're going to need something to go along with it. When Valve released their index, they come out of left wing and they brought us a new addition to Half-Life. No one was expecting that. PlayStation need to do the same. Is it going to be some sort of uncharted experience? Is it going to be some Last of Us experience? Is it going to be some God of War experience? It's got to be one of the big three, hasn't it? Something amazing that we that comes out of left field that you're not really expecting, and it's a huge IP. That's where I think PlayStation VR need to go. So are you thinking then that the Horizon announcement isn't enough? Do you think it needs more than that? Yeah, definitely. Like, is Horizon that big? I don't know. In the whole swing of PlayStation... When I think of PlayStation, do I think of Aloy? No, I think of Kratos. I think of Nathan Drake. I think of Ellie. Well, the game went on to sell exceptionally well. I don't have those sales numbers here, so bail me just one moment. I don't have a fucking clue. Nothing else to do. So that's all I Google. So looking it up, Horizon has sold 20 million copies around the world. That's pretty damn good. That's pretty high. Sure, it's not the same as like old school Gran Turismo or anything, but it is really high. In fact, looking at it, looking at this, the total sales numbers for the best-selling first-party games on PlayStation, and granted, these are old numbers, but at the time when these numbers went up, The Last of Us and Last of Us Remastered sold 24 million, with Spider-Man behind it at 20 million. It's the number two games from the first party that sold the most, right, on PS4. I mean, that's pretty damn good for it now to have hit 20 million now. Grant, I don't know how old these numbers are, but even so, it's exceptionally well in terms of sales. I do kind of agree with you, though. I, I don't know if this is the game that would really push VR into the hands of everyone else. Maybe if it was the case that they hadn't announced it already and they came out and then showed it, that it would be a surprise and everyone would be like, wow, you're know, really blown away by it. But now we know. Is it going to have the same impact as if it was just shown as a shadow drop? And I don't want to turn this rumor into just speculating about VR because we're, we'll probably have a whole show about this. Well, I already know we're planning the next show to be heavily focused towards VR because we might have a special guest coming on to discuss it. But more news about that in the, in the following weeks. My example earlier was the Valve Index. They came out with Half-Life Alex, and then nothing. PlayStation need to learn from that mistake and they need to keep rolling the content. If we're going to have Horizon as the initial release, they need to then back that up a couple of months later with something else. And they need to keep that ball rolling because otherwise it's going to die a death and it's just going to be another indie kind of console. And do we want that? Do we need that? Probably not. What we need is them to take this hardware seriously for the first time ever. It would be nice, wouldn't it? It, it really would. I mean, to be fair, comparing it to like, the Vita. Bless your soul, Vita. The best handheld that never got the chance it needed. They have stuck by VR for all this time, which is which is more than you can say for, 
for the best handheld ever made. I've got to think my mind just cannot go on anywhere else other than it being either God of War or VR for this big one. I, I really cannot think about anything else that makes sense because everything else to me feels too far down. It feels like we're talking Game Awards this year, maybe maybe E3, right? That that we start to see more announcements for what studios are doing because we still don't know what Blue Point are up to. We still don't know what any of these first-person shooter games that are being developed are. We have no idea. We probably won't know for the rest of the year. So it's the only thing that kind of makes sense to me. But I suppose we'll have to wait because March is literally around the corner now. Quick question before we round this rumor off. Do we want it to be more along the lines of, as we discussed in a previous episode, the Gran Turismo style? Or are we going down the route of Ghostwire Tokyo with that less kind of structured, shall I say, presentation? Well, I think both of those approaches work for individual titles. If we're talking about a state of play where they're showing multiple things, I want it to actually be more like an intended direct where it's a case of they just say they have like a presenter and they're like, right, that's on to the next thing. And then boom, and then they have that segment. And then from that, they then go off to the game studios and like, hi guys, we're pleased to announce our new game that we've been working on for the last five years. We've heard your, we've heard your rumors. I, th- I don't know which country this person that I'm impersonating is from. I have, I have no idea. I don't think that's a real accent. Because we had one of those, didn't we? We're that lady was dressed up as Jill Valentine and she never turned around to show you the back of her jacket. She was cosplaying, wasn't she? It seemed like it anyway. But that that definitely elevates the state of play more than just the faceless announcer, which we normally get. But let's see what happens now. It's, as you said, it's only a couple of weeks away. We've had some new rumours circulating surrounding the costing of Project Spartacus. For those that don't remember, Spartacus is the relaunch of PlayStation Plus, including PlayStation Now. This has three tiers. So you've got the PS Plus Essential, which is $10 a month and gets you monthly games as normal. You've got Extra at $13, and that gets what seems to be like a downloadable library of PS Now games. Then you've got the PS Plus Premium, which is $16 per month, and gets you cloud streaming, classic games, and game trials. Classic games will be reportedly be the major part of the PlayStation Game Pass rivals, and the service could be revealed very soon, is claimed. Davey, so what do you think of these costings? Do you think you'll be subscribing to Project Spartacus? I know you're a massive fan of PS Plus, but you haven't subscribed to PS Now. So maybe there's something in it for you. That's true, that's true. I was a PlayStation Now subscriber, and I just haven't really gone back to it. And the reason is, really, I just haven't had time. There's been so many games for us to play over the last few months, especially, that I haven't really found myself in a period of time where I am I can really try something new. And I think that's where PlayStation Now really has kind of a, a niche there that it can fill. In terms of the costing and what I think about them, I don't think it's too outrageous. The big thing to keep in mind is that these costs are based on if you're renewing it on a monthly basis. Now, if it was a case that PlayStation Now was costing me $13 a month for PlayStation Plus and now, that's actually cheaper than if I had to buy them as they currently stand right now because they stack. So it's the $9.99 for, for one month for each version. So it is actually a saving. However, there's no way in hell I'd pay £13 a month for PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now if it was 13 quid. There's no chance. I mean, Netflix is what? 7 It's gone up to like 9 now. And you get so much content on that. That's actually outrageous of a price. 
If it's a case though that they have a 12-month subscription method and it works out to be like $100, like £100 for a year, that's fine. You know, I'm cool with that. And that would be for the PS Plus Premium, that is. If it starts getting into being like 192 which it would be based on that £16, that's a big asking price. And I think that would scare me a little bit seeing that. So I'm kind of holding out hope that there is going to be some kind of annual deal on here. And if it's sub 100 quid, cool. I, I'm in for that. I, I don't think that's too outrageous. I think before we spoke about this, I think we said the, the sweet point would be about like 80 odd quid for the PlayStation Plus Premium. And I think that would be a good little price. But I think I, I definitely will be subscribing. Of course, at the very least, I'll be a PS Plus Essential because it's exactly what I am now. Extra is what I've been in the past and it's actually slightly cheaper. So it would make sense going to that. But the PlayStation Plus Premium just seems like a good idea especially for us on this podcast. Getting the game trials would open up like loads of different content for us, especially as we don't often reach out to different publishers for free copies and stuff to kind of keep our independence. It's a good little way to at least get a taste of games that we can then report back to the general audience on. And of course, classic games. If I can play such titles as Metal Gear Solid and earn trophies... You're goddamn right, I'll pay whatever it takes to get that. But what about you, mate? Well, Davey, you know me, and listeners to the show, and listeners to the show that have gone back to the early episodes will know I'm not a big fan of PS Plus. I'm not a big fan of subscription methods and subscription services, just purely because my time allowance doesn't really give me enough space to play the games that I'm buying physically and to buy the games that come as part of the PS Plus bundle, let alone the PS Now bundle. I would just not have time. I'm 36. I've got a job. I've kind of got a life outside gaming, unfortunately, guys. I'm sorry to say that. As much as I love doing this, and you are my life, I like doing other things. I like getting out. I like going to the pub. I like going to the pub. Let's put it that (laughs) way, right? I like that you've clarified (laughs) that. I I I was thinking, what else do you do? I can only think of the pub and football. I like going to the pub. Let's leave it as that. So yeah, for me, I, I'd find it hard to to have these subscription methods and keep up with it and really get the value out of them. But there is that slight little bit of interest with the points that you've brought up. With the game trials, that would be quite cool to be playing games a little earlier than people. But I'm not sure that that cost is going to be at the right level for me. If I can dip in, if there's something that interests me, Sure, I might just do it at one month, but I ain't going to be the guy that's doing this month after month after month unless, and this is what Disney Plus did when they first started this new subscription method, is they came at a heavily discounted rate for their first year. So if PlayStation are going to do something like that to try and entice us onto Project Spartacus, I might go in for the first year just to see what it's like, dip my toe for the first year. But then after, if it ramps up to that original price or the prices we're talking about, yeah, it might be on a month-by-month basis, unfortunately. I think that's a really good point, though, to be fair. I think they do need to do something so that optically this comes across really, really well. Because you don't want to come out with this with a massive-ass price point and people just leave it at the door. and They don't give it the chance. Sure, we talk quite a lot about Xbox Game Pass on, on the show, especially when we get Lewis on. And he's always saying about how good it is and how much value it is, even though he's playing his fucking shit games every single month on there that no one's ever heard of, right? And that's all he's got to do. The good thing about Game Pass is that they do this like three months for like nine uh, 99p 
or whatever. They just like kind of chucking it at people. Now, I don't think Sony will follow that level, but I think you're right. If they can offer some way to be able to really kind of offset the price and get you in, and after it's got its hooks into you by like a year, you might then think, do you know what? I've really got my money's worth out of this. Even if it is £192, I played 50 odd games on this. If, if you know, think about this when you were a kid and how much free time we had as, as kids. And of course, you were playing WoW, but if you were playing like other games, you could have like really like milk the fuck out of a system like this and play every single title on there and never buy anything. When I had my PS1, I religiously bought the PlayStation official magazine because of those demos and because it just kept us going on games. You know, games are expensive. When I was doing a paper round, okay, I was going at the pub with a lot of the money, but that extra money I spent on games and we didn't get a lot of games per month. It's not like now where we've got disposable income and pretty much within reason, we can buy what we want. Back in the day, I would spend so much time on those game demos because there was just so much variety. And I think a younger Phil having this offer of unlimited games pretty much for that level of, of cost Maybe my pocket money would have covered it. Yeah, that's the thing. I could imagine it being a case of I get to Christmas and I'd say, Mum, can I just have money this year? Because then I could put it into PlayStation credit and then just get like, you know, the, the top level of subscription and I'm done then. I don't have to worry about it, you know. Sure, I wouldn't play the newest games, but would I really care if I was like 10? Probably not. I probably wouldn't have a clue, right? I'd just play whatever and it would stop me playing Fortnite every day like a goddamn loser. And I could then start judging all my other 10-year-old mates and say, oh, you haven't played Shadow Warrior 3? You've been too busy jumping off and playing Fortnite? And I can act like some Barry Big Bollocks, which is always a good, a good position to be in. And you're right, mate, in what you're saying. Once they've got your hooks into you, you can't stop subscribing to these services. You know, for you, if you were to so stop PS Plus, you'd lose all your online saves. You would just lose them. And that's, that's, hor that's a horrible feeling. As someone who's recently lost a hard drive with some old saves, it's a crushing feeling. And if I had PS Plus, it probably would have saved them. But me, I didn't have PS Plus on my PS4, so I, I lost the saves. And that's why you keep subscribing for that $10 a month. Part of the reason, anyway. It's definitely a part of the reason, without a doubt. I, I go onto my PlayStation library and just look back at everything I've got on ps4 ps5 and i got a ps3 in my room from where i've been doing reviews on youtube and i went back on that and thought i wonder what games i've got on here and the amount of games that i've got access to to download and sure they take a, a fucking year to actually download on the ps3 god we don't know how good we got it now it's it's really nice to be able to think do you know what i'm gonna play motorstorm that i've got on playstation plus from years ago now i just feel like playing it now motorstorm apocalypse I've got so much value built up now at this point that PlayStation Plus is a total no-brainer. We're starting one of these subscriptions now and starting at any given month. You're never going to feel the same way that I do because you don't have that value. That's exactly it. It's the cumulative cost of these game libraries that you're looking at every time. If I'm looking at my game library, I've, I, you know, I've got less than a year's worth of games. Do I really care about the majority of these games? Definitely not. Name three games that I'm playing on there outside of the the digging with the dwarfs. I can't really think of too many games on there that I'd like to keep. And I've already got that on Steam. I was given that game on Steam. I think it's actually free on Steam at the moment for a trial period. 
So I don't need to keep subscribing to it. But I, I feel a duty to my, my, my listeners, my viewers, and the PS Plus family that I am going to keep it up over the next year just to be in the conversation. But if I wasn't on this podcast, I wouldn't have this subscription at all, boys. I'd be out. So I think we're pretty much in agreement here, really, that with this costing, it all just depends on what they're going to come out the gate with. And hopefully they're going to come out with some way to be able to kind of cushion the blow for people. So they actually dip their toes in and try the service. And then after a given point of time, it gets to the point where it becomes a service that you can't leave. And that's really all there is to say about it right now. We'll have to wait because maybe this is part of the big one that we were talking about in the last rumor. So who knows? We'll, we'll watch this space, listener. Let's move on to the topics. Topic time. Okay, so for the first topic of today, we've got a listener topic. So Jay Child has written in and he says, Dear PS Pretty Boys, plus Phil, with Sony's recent acquisition of Bungie, along with the announcement that they are working on 10 live service games, should we be worried that Sony are moving their focus away from the strong single-player stories they are now known for? as they try to chase the game's service dollar. In my eyes, the only reason to spend so much on Bungie is to harness the expertise they've built over Destiny's lifespan to bring their other studios up to speed, and may even signal these live service games being cross-platform. Would love to hear your thoughts on this. Keep up the good work. So first off, Child, thank you very much for writing in. Of course, listeners, if you want to have your questions read out and for us to answer them, best way is by writing into the email psvtrust at gmail.com and letting us know. So Phil, what do you think about this question? Should we be worried that Sony are moving their focus away from the strong single-player stories they are known for? Well, first off, thank you, Josh, for the for the listener email. But let's address something first. The PS Pretty Boys. Josh, are you not looking at me on YouTube? Why aren't I included in that? I need to hear. <laughs> Disappointed in you, bro. It's definitely going to be an age thing, isn't it? You know, there's, there's a certain point where, especially with men, generally you get better looking the older you get. Now, I saw some pictures of you, Phil, on my Facebook memories the other day when you were in your prime, when you were like my age, and you were looking really hot fire, mate. So maybe, maybe it's the case. Now, I'm not saying this. I'm on the podcast, just you and me today. I can't have you leave, and it's just me. Nobody could, could man that ship. So I'm going to say that, I, I'm not going to say that you've gotten worse, but you look great in your prime. Mate, I'm like a fine wine. I ain't circulating my emo photos. I saw some of those the other day. I was sorting out my hard drive, and Jesus Christ. You know, you when you have those haircuts, you think, yeah, I look, I look really, really cool, don't you? But trust me, when you get a bit older and you look back at those photos, you kind of wish you'd never had those haircuts. You really do. It's like with dodgy tashes, though, isn't it, as well? It's like, I know that Spencer's going to look back in about 10 years' time and it'll be like, why did I do that advert with that dodgy moustache? Or <laughs> <laughs> come on this podcast with it. Yeah, there's just certain, there's certain things that just do, not, just do not help your position at all. I mean, I look like a bit of a mess right now. You know, I need a haircut. But I, I've been looking after the kid all day. So, I'll, you know, I'll take, I'll take my slightly, slightly messy look and still class myself as one of the PS Pretty Boys. Let's bring it back to the question. What do you think then, Phil? I kind of don't feel like they are. Really? I don't really feel like Sony are moving away from what they're known for. Because we are getting God of War. They are putting a lot of hype around God of War. This isn't going to be a service game. This is going to stick along 
what we know Sony for. This is going to be a single-player experience, which tells us a beautiful story about Kratos and his son. This is what we're all wanting and all expecting. And I don't feel like the acquisition of Bungie changes the playing field at all. I feel like it just broadens what Sony could possibly do, but I don't think it switches the focus. I completely resonate those thoughts. I, th I think that's perfectly said. Because, you know, you think about what we already know. Now, granted, we don't know a huge suite from Sony's games at the moment. We know Gran Turismo, God of War, and we know that Spider-Man 2 and Logan are in development. And that, that's pretty much about all we know right now. You know, we don't know what Sucker Punch are doing. We don't know what Bluepoint are doing. We, we don't know what the majority of the studios are actually doing. But if there's one thing to be said is that all those games are not games as a service model. And I think what you said there is really important is that it's adding that breadth to the library because all you have to do at the moment is go on Twitter and the first insult you see about Sony's games is that they're all third-person action-adventure games. And there actually isn't much you can say about that because, yeah, they, they kind of are. The difference is that they're all slightly different genres and they're all very different settings. So none of the games actually feel alike, but that is true. They are pretty much all the same kind of mold uh, as a base starting point. So I think in what you've said, Josh, and in your eyes, the only reason to spend so much on Bungie is to harness the expertise they built. I, I completely agree with that. I think that's exactly what we've been saying the last couple of episodes in terms of what we can see that Sony would get out of this deal is be able to make sure that Bungie can upskill the other studios to be able to really achieve what they want to achieve rather than them coming out with a th first-person shooter or a live-service game and it go the way as, say, Destruction All-Stars or some other absolute bollocks game that they, that they end up launching. At least they've got that studio there that can really step in and say, oh, you, you don't want to do this. You know, you, you want to do this and just help shepherd them in the right direction to make sure that whatever that new project is, is as successful as it could possibly be. But like I've said, I totally agree with Phil on this. I don't think there's anything to worry about at all. I think that this is only going to do good things. We only have to wait now to hear what these studios are up to and the vision that they have, and then I may end up walking back on this. But we'll have to wait and see. There's one other thing, actually, I want to I want to add on this before we close this down. And J. Charles says in his question here that it may signal that these live service games being cross-platform. Would you want to see any brand new first-party games on launch being cross-platform? That's a difficult question because the way I treat PlayStation is for the single-player story games. That's, that's the majority of what I play on PlayStation. If I'm playing competitive, I've got a PC and, and, and that's where I, I spend my, my time on League playing competitive games. But if Sony are going to start to do cross-platform with, say, Resistance, with, say, Killzone, and bring it to PlayStation and be able to play cross-platform, I think that's really, really interesting. And, and I've always been a big, big advocate of cross-platform games. I loved it back in the early days, and I always arc back to this early memory of Portal, Portal 2. Me and Davey playing online between PC and PlayStation, and that just worked perfectly. I love that. So yes, I would be 100% down for that if they brought it day one, but it ain't gonna happen. Sony will never do it day one. It'll come a little bit down the path. I think for me, it all kind of depends on what the project is. I think if it's an existing IP that's already got an established roots, like a Killzone or a Resistance, 
I can't see that being cross-platform. I really can't. However, if it's a brand new title and they're saying, right, well, this is going to be our competitive first-person shooter. It's a free-to-play model. 100% cross-platform the shit out of that because it just means that you've got, you're going to maximize your return on investment. You're going to get more people playing it all in different settings, all trying it for free because it's a new flagship thing from Sony. You know, it's going to look amazing. It's going to play amazing, whatever the case is. And they can get it out wide net and just get as much money on that free to play as they possibly can. Although, in caveat to my own point, I don't think they want to play in that space because that space is so crowded. I've already said this before, but when you got you got players in there like Call of Duty Warzone, you've got Apex Legends and Fortnite. Why in God's name would you put your money into that? Because you unless you come out with something that truly blows the doors off. You ain't going to make a dent. So it's a very risky model. I think if they are going down that route, then it makes the most sense to do it as cross-platform. But apart from that, if it's an existing IP, ain't going to happen. Okay, David, we've made it to the end of the show without Spencer. It's been a little bit more difficult, but I miss him. I really do. Whenever the camera's not been on me, I've just been crying on mute to myself there's been just tears rolling down my eyes my wife's come in a couple of times what's wrong what's wrong and i'd be like spencer he's not very well and then i've been furiously checking my playstation app to see if he's on elden ring or not and he's not so far so we're we're okay he actually is probably just dead so pull one out for spencer everyone and if you want to be involved in the next episode if you want to be a potential host if spencer is actually dead then make sure to write into the email or reach out to us on Twitter. And of course, those will be in the description. So as I said, we've made it through the show. This is our final topic, and I want to bring it round to the Capcom countdown. Okay, guys, I know a lot of you were speculating on what this possibly could be, because Capcom doesn't do it very often. I, I, in my history with Capcom, I'm a, I've been a big supporter and lover of this studio. I've never seen this happen before. For an announcement. They they had a big clock that was counting down. And people were speculating about possibly it could be the game that couldn't be mentioned. A new Dino Crisis. Maybe Outbreak or Outrage. Could it be Marvel vs. Capcom 2? The re-release? The remake? Well, now we know what it is. It was Street Fighter motherfucking 6. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And a Capcom fighting collection. Okay, so this was revealed at the Capcom Pro Tour 2001 in, in, the, in the season finale. It was an epic moment. I want to break these two games down with you, Davey. So let's start off with the Capcom Fighting Collection. Leave Street Fighter to the end. Leave the best to last. How did you feel about the Capcom Fighting Collection? And maybe you can fill us in on a couple of details, what was included within that collection. Sure. So yeah, I'll start off uh, just saying what's actually in there. So the Capcom Fighting Collection unites all five Darkstalker games for the first time outside of Japan. So that includes Darkstalkers, The Night Warriors, Darkstalkers Revenge, Vampire Savior, The Lord of Vampire, and previously Japan-only titles Vampire Hunter 2, Darkstalkers Revenge, and Vampire Savior 2, which is The Lord of Vampire. The anthology also features the first release of Red Earth outside arcades and is joined by fan favorites Hyper Street Fighter 2, the Anniversary Edition, Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo, Super Gem Fighter Minimix, and Cyberbots. Full Metal Madness. So, 
There's a lot of games in there that I actually haven't heard of at all. And I've been a long time Capcom fighting game player. I've been playing Street Fighter actually only since Street Fighter 4. But then I've gone back to earlier titles. But other other Capcom fighting games I've been playing for a long time. Especially when it comes to like the Marvel games. Like Marvel Super Heroes, X-Men Children of the Atom, um, MVC1. Like things like that. I've been playing for like forever. And I've heard of Darkstalkers. I've got when we were talking about our PlayStation 3 games, actually, on PlayStation Plus, I got Darkstalkers when they released that on PlayStation 3. I got that already. But seeing all these different games there, I know there's a huge contingent of fans that have been desperate to see, you know, Morrigan, Felicia, for them to come back, this sexy cat lady, and of course Morrigan, with her ample bosom, to come back into the fighting game sphere through Darkstalkers. And so I was really chuffed for everyone seeing that. For me personally, this isn't something that I'm over the moon with. I would have much preferred to see like an MVC collection. But I'm really happy for those people that wanted this because it's finally there. And don't get me wrong on this. Even though it's not for me, if you have any passing interest in seeing Capcom really double down on their fighting games, because fighting games do seem to be going through a new resurgence at the moment, you think about how good, like, Guilty Gear Strive has, has been received. Coughs just come out now, King of Fighters, the new one. We're in this new era that we haven't seen since the late 2000s, since like 2006, 2007, when we were in Street Fighter. And Street Fighter came out, then Mortal Kombat came back, and all these different fighting games just came up out of the blue. We're in that again now, like 10 years later or 15 years later. It's happening. Capcom are using this as a test bed. If Darkstalkers sells, you bet your ass there will be a new Darkstalkers game. I swear to you. So if you have even a passing interest in this game, get it. Show that you care so that we get more of them in the future. And so I will be buying this collection. I will be showing my support, especially as, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, it includes rollback netcode. They're putting in a better netcode than Street Fighter V had at launch into this. That is phenomenal news. So I am going to be diving into this, even though I really don't care too much about it personally. Would I be going out on a limb and say that Capcom's probably jointly our favorite studio? And we don't know hardly any of these games. It's mad, isn't it? The back catalogue of Capcom is, is, is just huge. And every time they come out with these kind of game collections... There's always a gem in there. And the gem for me is Puzzle Fighters. Because I have played that game and I do know that game. And I do love that game. So I might, well, I say I might. I'm definitely going to be buying this collection. Because what you're saying is is correct. Unless we support it with our wallets, we won't see any more from the back catalogue. They'll just switch it off and they'll just keep working on the games that make the money. So we've got to go out and buy these sort of games when they come out. When they're given the opportunity, we've got to we've got to vote with our wallets, as I've said before. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I do remember Puzzle Fighter because it often comes back to me about games that I'm totally trash at that you are miles better than than me on. And I remember being you know, five is in on vodka, which we spoke about quite a lot of times on this podcast, where I'm totally inebriated. You know, falling down your stairs, falling into your fridge, nearly knocking your mum over, and then you're like, Davy you got to beat me at Puzzle Fighter or you're getting a shot of Sambuca or a shot of Raki. It's like, oh, okay, I can, I can beat you, no problem, mate. And then I just get in absolutely slap my tits off because I don't know how the game works. 
And and that would always happen, like every single Saturday night. And by the time I'd learn the game, I'd be so blind drunk that I'd never remember it the next time. So it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy that I'd learn it that night, end up becoming competent, but then I'd never remember it because I was like 10 shots into Raki at that point. You're giving away all my secrets, mate. That was the only way I could get one on you because you were so much better than me at Street Fighter 4. I had to get you pissed up and bring out a niche game that you've never heard of and smack you on it. It was savage. It was savage. But no, it'd be, it'd be good to get back into that again, actually give that a go and, and, and try it. So yeah, so that was, that was a pretty hype announcement. In terms of what they could have shown there, this Capcom counter, do you think it actually worked? Do you think it drove up the right hype? It did for the crowd, which I think we've said this in the past, where Capcom, they do genuinely listen to their fans. When their fans want something or want something changed within the game or added to a game, we generally see it in, in new versions of the game. They're always willing to take a chance on those, those suggestions that do come from the community. And I think this game is very much driven by the community because people were going crazy about this at the Capcom Pro Tour. They were like popping off as if this was the major announcement. And we'll get on to the, the real announcement later. But for them, they were going crazy absolutely crazy over these games that personally i've never heard of apart from one of them see for me the capcom countdown i didn't think it was going to be anything other than street fighter 6 it just made the most sense especially as it was being shown it was the the countdown was going to end when we're getting to the end of the capcom pro tour it, it makes sense that it was going to be street fighter 6 i think anybody who really thought about it could see that was obvious all i could see on twitter though and granted I do have a very a very echo chamber kind of Twitter at the moment where it is very much horror games, uh, especially because I'm, I'm doing that on YouTube at the moment. All I saw was a lot of people disappointed that it wasn't, you know, Village DLC or it wasn't the game that can't be mentioned for remake, you know? There was quite a lot of that and a lot of people saying, oh, this is bullshit and then sharing the Street Fighter 6 news and saying, oh, this is... This is crap. Like, I didn't want this. I wanted to know what was happening with Rebecca Chambers in Outrage. You know, all this different stuff. Do you think that there was a danger there in this? I think Capcom made a mistake in the way they positioned the countdown. Because that countdown looked spooky. It looked like it was basically trying to imitate something from the game that cannot be mentioned. It had that horror vibe to it. The colour scheme. If I think about Street Fighter and I think about fighting games... They're full of colour. Why was it a black and white spooky-ass countdown if it wasn't going to be spooky characters? And I understand that, like, Darkstalkers, they've got some spooky characters in there, but that link there didn't really work for me. It should have been full of colour, and it should have been going along with the Capcom Pro Tour kind of, like, vibe. It shouldn't have gone down the spooky horror route for me. And I think that's why lots of people had high expectations because people always do about Capcom because it's a love studio and they were let down because we didn't get the game that cannot be mentioned for, or as you said, Village DLC. Or as a lot of people were going on about, bloody Devil May Cry. I had so many people on my Twitter going about Devil May Cry. I was so shocked about that. I wouldn't have thought that in a million years. No, and that's the problem though, isn't it? Is that, and we're always guilty of this, mind. Whenever we get a PlayStation State of Play, we're always saying, well, this is the one. We're going to see Resistance. We're going to see Killzone. We're going to see Metal Gear Solid Remake. And then we get it, and we'll be lucky if we even see Stray on this next one. And that would be it. And sure, I'd be happy about that. But even so, right, 
we always get our expectations too unnecessarily high. And that's part of gaming. That's part of the hype culture that we all build up. You know, we all talk about things that we want to see and that we're hoping for and we can't wait for. And then we're inevitably disappointed. And then it's only on those rare occasions where you get a showcase or a countdown or some kind of thing where it exceeds your expectation and where it goes above and beyond that and really gives it to you. So us as fans, we should know for this, right? And expecting Devil May Cry stuff out of this is a, is mad. There is not a hope in that. My mind didn't even trigger to that because it's not been long since we had the last DMC. We're not going to hear about that for a number of years. You know, come on, come on, get with it. That's on you. That's not Capcom's fault, that one. Okay, so let's move on to what the announcement was all about. And this was the announcement of the long-awaited, I would say, Street Fighter VI. And just to give you a bit of background for the people who haven't seen the video, um, we sort of see Ryu and we see, what, is a fake Ken? No, it's a character called Luke. They start fighting or facing up to each other within the intro. There's some hip-hop music. They go to fight and we see a logo. That's all we got. And that logo, what do you feel about it? Well, I've actually got an arts degree, okay? And I'm sure there's people listening to this podcast laughing because they see my thumbnails that go up for the podcast and they're like, he's got an art degree and that's what he's producing. I try really hard on those. <laughs> but if people want to, you know, if people want to submit some design work, I'm more than happy, you know, write into the email, pswetrust at gmail.com, in pswetrust, uh, Twitter, send me your thumbnails if you want to be featured because I wouldn't mind a break one week. So feel free. But that logo... Yes, it's come out that it's just from the Adobe Stock website and they've just tweaked it slightly. <laughs> so it's a piss take, in my opinion. <laughs> but I don't truly believe it's the final logo. No. I kind of think it's just a placeholder because they needed to get something out there and they thought, oh, we're going to spend all this money. We're going to render like Ryu with a massive chest and beard and like Luke actually looking like a real person instead of what he looks like in Street Fighter Five, He looks laughable. And they spent all their money on that. And then they thought, oh, we need a logo for it. Get on Adobe Stock, download, bang a number on it, and let's get it out the door. But I don't believe that's the final logo, in my personal opinion. Now, I swear, I don't want to be contrary because that isn't my role on the podcast. I quite like the logo. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it is kind of you, yeah. I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to say it, though. I actually quite like it. I know it is just a hexagon with SF in the middle and then a six in the bottom right corner. It's not the most lazy logo ever, but I quite like it. And I could see how somebody would be like, six. Hmm. We don't want to do what they did in the, in the game that can't be mentioned six, where it looked like a giraffe was getting sucked off by a lady. We don't want to go down that route. So what do we do? And they're like, what? What's, what's six? Throw some, throw some things at me. And the guy's like, ah, oh, shapes, shapes. Um, Hexacon's got six sides. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's what we'll do. That's what we'll do. Street Fighter Six, Hexagon. Everything's got to be hexagon-based. And, and I could see them going down this design philosophy. Ultimately, does it really matter what a logo looks like? No. No one really gives a fuck. It could literally be, like we said, a giraffe getting noshed off by a woman. And I'll still buy it. I don't really give a flying fuck about it. But I do tend to agree with you. I think, yes, it's going to be a placeholder. We're going to get some flash art because, of course, 
this game is being shown in its full later in the summer, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so they, they said there's going to be an announcement later on in the year towards summertime that we'll actually see the game, we'll see gameplay, which would be really nice. So at the moment, it is just a teaser, just really kind of showing kind of a glimpse into the art style and really just to let fans know that, yes, after all the wait that we've had with Street Fighter V, we're finally going to be getting into this. Now, I've got to make this pretty clear. I was a massive fan of Street Fighter Four, like huge fan of Street Fighter Four. In fact, I'm wearing, as it currently stands for you, audio listeners, uh, for you visual listeners, I'm wearing a Ryu, a Ryu top right now. I play Ryu. Oh, you got Ryu behind you, Phil. We, on this podcast, we love Street Fighter. We really do. When Street Fighter V came out, it came out on my birthday in 2016. And I bought it, and I bought a Mad Cats Tournament Edition stick, and I was ready. And I was thinking, right, well, this is it now. This is the game that I play that's going to overtake Smash, it's going to overtake everything for me. This is going to be it. This is going to be my main driver focus that I play alongside every other game that comes out. Because I always find there's one game that I kind of stick with that I just kind of play in between stuff. And I'll play kind of serious that I can dive in and out of alongside my main single player games. And unfortunately, Street Fighter V lasted about three weeks for me. It just did not hit. It wasn't what I wanted it to be. It was really basic. It didn't really have any flair. It didn't seem like there was anything there that really dragged me in from Street Fighter Four. You know, I don't think it was the fact that it didn't have any, like, one-frame links, or it didn't have any of the, the really kind of cool little skill things that Street Fighter Four had. I think it was just that it just wasn't fun to play. And the crush counter system just really didn't work for me in terms of getting me into that game and keeping me there. Phil, what did you think about Street Fighter V when it first came out? And I suppose based on that as well, what are you kind of hoping for when we get into Street Fighter VI? Well, with Street Fighter V, I think Street Fighter V really, really just ended my fighting game career. I say career in a loose sense. We used to attend tournaments with Street Fighter 4, and we used to really enjoy that community. And we were part of it. We were quite active around the South Wales, kind of Bristol area. And, you know, we made a lot of good friends through that sort of community. It, it was a really, really enjoyable game to play. We played it a lot. But as soon as Street Fighter 5 came along, it just dropped off a cliff for me. And I just stopped playing fighting games. Street Fighter 5 killed it for me. Now with the addition of Street Fighter 6... It has sparked my interest because looking at that intro, you can tell it's high budget. They've spent a lot on those graphics and I think they're taking it very, very seriously and it's going to be different from what Street Fighter 5 is and what Street Fighter 4 is. Because for me, Street Fighter 5 is kind of Street Fighter 4.5. It's not a big enough jump to the next level of fighting games and this is what I want Street Fighter 6 to be. It looks like they're going to take influence from the old. When we looked at Ryu, he goes back and he's got that old school kind of Japanese paint that like swirls around him. And then we're offsetting that with Luke and the spray paint graffiti, the new style of Street Fighter. So we're going to have the old school and we're going to have the new school in a big clash of Street Fighter 6. And that's what I'm hoping for. The hip hop style of the music is reminiscent of Street Fighter 3. And that gets me hype. I love a good tune. I'm still singing to myself the old original Street Fighter 4 tunes. I can feel it coming over me. I feel it all around me. I've been waiting for this moment all my life. It's my destiny. It's my destiny. <laughs> Class song. 
if we can get Street Fighter back to being the king of fighting games, which, granted, the last couple of years, Street Fighter's really pulled it out the back, and they've managed to take it up from being such a pitiful launch lineup that Street Fighter V was, to really be in quite an expansive roster with all your favourite characters. You know, Blanca's in there now for you, Phil. Um, There's literally, like, everybody you could really want in that game in there. And they've added a lot of quality of life changes to make it look nice. The presentation's actually a lot better than it was. I think the thing that I really want from this, and this is probably going to be a bit weird, right? Because there's, there's, there's two things I want from Street Fighter VI. And I'm sure that you've got a host of things that you're looking for that would get you involved with this. I've been playing a lot of Neverrealm Fighters the last couple of years. A lot of Neverrealm Fighters. In fact, my most played game over the last two years has been Mortal Kombat 11. Before that, it was then Injustice 2. Neverrealm have done fantastically well with this story modes. Their story modes on the, those Mortal Kombat games and Injustice have been phenomenal. They've been actually just really good stories that a casual player could get in, just play the story through, and that would take them about 15 hours, and then bounce. And they've had a great experience with the game. I think there's something there that they could really do that, because you think about how good the old Street Fighter animes were in the Street Fighter 2 movie. There, there's there's enough there that they could they could do it and sure we don't have to see naked chun Li. we could just have it just be a case that we just have just a really good story that's built into this whole new thing where i could learn about who luke is you know and and all these different characters that i don't know who the hell they are and just enjoy it i think it's funny because a lot of people thought it was ken no way they didn't understand what this character is because they'd never played street fighter 5 and he came in he was the last character was he the last character that got announced for street fighter 5 he was so yeah. no one knows who he is so it's really strange for him to be in this video really strange because normally you get a fight between ryo and ken that's what we had in street fighter 4 wasn't it with all swirls of paint going all around them and that music and that got us into it and this is this is very similar but we have this new character, this new character that's unknown to the vast majority of people that didn't get in right at the close of Street Fighter V. And his name's Luke. What's he even play like? He's like a boxer character, um, but he's got um, he's got like projectiles and stuff as well. It looks cool. It looks cool. Uh, I, I'm too late to get into Street Fighter V now. There's, there's no point. Plus, I'm playing Guilt Gear Strive. I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, but we had Horizon to talk about. Yeah, I, I mean, they've said that Luke's going to be a major part of the story. And that's why they're showing him. They said, they said that he's going to be a major part of the story. I just want it to actually be a story rather than it be a case of, like there was in the last one, you get a couple of comic book shots and they're like, uh, Ryu is searching for the next opponent. And then it just ends. You know, I, I don't want that bullshit. I want them to put a bit of effort into the single player stuff. I don't. Because I think a story in Street Fighter is like a story in Doom. They would have to play it off as a joke. Because Street Fighter's never had a story in the games. You're not going to like what I'm going to say, Davey, but I don't think they're bringing back Kylie Minogue to voice Kami in this game. I don't think it's going to happen, mate. Don't, don't see my dreams and then just crush them in front of my very eyes. I don't have Spencer here to be able to, for me to look away. I've got to look into, into, the, into your eyes and see this pain that you're inflicting on me. Oh, don't, don't say these things. I, d- I don't know how you can look at me because I'm not one of the pretty boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh well that's something we're against i wonder if there's i wonder if there's anything that we're on the same page for are there any mechanics that you want to see return 
to this from previous Street Fighter games. Is there anything that you want it to do on a fundamental level or include that would get you through the door? Just think about old Street Fighter games that we've played. So thinking back, the most iconic ones, I suppose, because the games we've really played is a little bit of 3S and uh, Street Fighter 4. So we've got the parry mechanic, but they tried to implement that in Street Fighter 5. I believe there's certain characters that have the parry mechanic, but it's not across the board in my understanding of the game. So that would be interesting if they did that. Okay, and then for Street Fighter, I'd want the focus attack back because one of my happiest memories in fighting game history is watching you beat Ryan Hart with a full charge focus attack into Flashy Ultra. And that was an incredible moment for me, mate. I was there supporting you. Yeah, the, the, the commentators were popping off when I watched the stream back. And sure, he perfect me straight after that game. But, you know, we don't, we don't have to talk about that. In fact, I just admitted that. I should never admit that. Good God. What am I doing? I can edit this. I'm on the edit. I think for me, the, the thing I want back more than anything is I want the 3S parry. That's what I want more than anything. I want a universal parry that's got a high ceiling of, of, of entry for the skill level to be able to use. Because fighting games over the last few years in particular have gone down the more accessible route. You know, combos are much easier to do. There's bigger windows. There's auto combos now, which there never used to be. There's all these different mechanics to be able to get newer players into them. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But I like it then where there's a mechanic or some kind of inbuilt system into the game to really separate the boys from the men. And I think a parry system could be that. Because sure, you could block like a chump, but you could sit there and you could parry every single thing and have like a three-frame window. So it's really tight. But And if you fuck it up, you just get hit for a full combo or you just take the damage. I think that would be awesome because then you get moments. You get Evo moment 37 or whatever it is. And sure, if there is a parry system, that's the first thing someone's going to do, right? They're going to chuck in Chun-Li Super and see if they can parry all of it. But that doesn't matter because when you get into tournaments then and you can see people where they're going for it, just parrying everything, it's hype. And it really just creates this, this moment where it's like, Jesus Christ, like there's the skill gap between me as a player and, and a pro. And I think that fighting games really need to be able to walk this fine line between getting people through the door, but then catering to those that will put the time in. And I think, unfortunately for me, that's where Street Fighter V falls short because it doesn't have that clear distinction Sure, you've got combos which are more optimal and they're harder to do and they involve dashes and things like that. I get all that. But there's nothing flashy about that. I want something that's an inbuilt mechanic that's plain as day from the casual people, but you can really go with it. Much like Guilty Gear does with its Roman cancels. That's what I want. I want this, this thing that just really just creates a fine line in the sand between you and them. And I think the, the parry system is the best way to do it. It's going to be a difficult balancing act for sure. And, and, and that's what fighting games are all about, isn't it? It's that balancing where you want to introduce new players, but you also want to appeal to your hardcore as well, because they are the players that are going to keep playing and buy all your DLC and attend tournaments and wear the T-shirts and the hoodies and the jackets and have posters and figures and everything else behind them. So it's going to be an interesting time. I'm going to be watching it for sure. But I've got one more question before we close out the show. Who do you want? What characters? I know Ryu's your character. Ryu's your boy. He's always been your boy. You always tend to go for whoever's on the case. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But if you're going to jump in with another character, who do you want to see? Dudley. I went to that really quick, didn't I? But yeah, Dudley. He, he's a character that I just think was so hyped to watch in Street Fighter 4. I loved him in Street Fighter 4. He isn't in Street Fighter 5. 
And sure, I, I suppose that you're a new poster boy, Luke, he's a boxer character. It doesn't matter. He's not dudders. He's not doing these crazy, like, corner combos where you're just constantly relaunching people. I think he's just cool. And I'd love to see him return to this. What about you, mate? I think for me, it's the obvious one. Uh, I used to main uh, Blanca, so he's obviously going to come back at some stage. And I hope he's not just a stupid guy in a costume, which I think he was in Street Fighter Five. That put me right off it. I know it was only a, only a costume, but still, I want him done properly. I want him from the jungle. And if I'm going to go off-piece a little bit, I'm thinking about Yun. He was a very interesting character in both 3S and 4 to watch and to play. So if we're going to bring bring back an additional character, I'm going for Blanca, I'm going for Yun. Those are two characters I want to see in the game. And just before we close, I want to say to all the people that are out there saying they want to bring El Fuerte back, fuck off. That character is a nightmare to deal with, an absolute nightmare. You never knew what was going on. He's jumping all around the screen, just running back and forth. No, we don't want El Fuerte on this podcast, okay? Uh, Phil, do I speak for you on this one as well? Yeah, he was a nightmare. Him and that Skullamania character that's in previous games. Get rid of him. <laughs> so we're, ba- we're bidding those characters off. If you support those and you like them, you better make a goddamn good case for it on Twitter or wherever you can reach out to us. Because, God, I do not want them and I'll be pissed off if they're in this game. But if you do want to make a case for why they should be included, there's a number of ways that you can actually interact with us as a show. The first way would be to write into the email, psweTrust at gmail.com. Of course, you can message us on Twitter. That is at MPSWeTrust. Or you can reach out to us on our individual Twitters. They'll all be in the description below. We have a Reddit page. So the Reddit page is popping off lately. We're getting new people join us and we're having active conversations on there all the time. We'd love to hear from you on there. That will be in the description of the show. And I'm on TikTok. <laughs> oh, I forgot about this. I forgot. So, follow me, like me, whatever you do on TikTok. Let's do it on TikTok. But yes, there's loads of ways to reach out to us. If I can ask for a favor from you, the best way to support the show would be to write a review or leave a review on any of your podcast services of choice. We're really pushing for the Spotify one at the moment because that's where most of you listen to the show. But of course, if you are on Apple or you're on Google, just leave a just leave a rating on there. It really does help us pick up a, a larger audience. And we do appreciate everyone that's done that so far. If you're on YouTube, like the video and subscribe to the channel for more content. And that's it for this episode of NPS We Trust, the end of episode 37. Spencer will be back ne- next episode unless he's dead. And of course, me and Phil will be returning as normal next episode as well in a fortnight. So we look forward to seeing you then for episode 38 of NPS We Trust, a PlayStation podcast. Now, I've been Davey. And I've been Phil. Take care, guys. Peace. In PS We Trust is hosted by Davey, Phil, and Spencer. You can write into the show via our email, pswetrust at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at inpswetrust. To find each of us online, follow our Twitters at ssjdavey, at philiphoy, at spenpie underscore. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. See ya.